Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate David's bliss now. After Come on! There is a in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true. It's real. Dinosaur fossils? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. A damn lie. I, I saw them on my own eye. Did I accuse just... Drop sharply while I was away. We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not This is mass madness, you maniac. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast. Tonight, I am going to hear about a level of synchronicity and and coincidence and symbolism in movies and music that I had never, I mean, I, I had a glimpse of it, but I never knew it went to this depth. And I'm really honored to have a buddy of mine from uh, Andreas Exertus's show, Sync Tank. Um, we've both been on there a bunch now. Uh, David Charles Plate, how's it going, man? Going well. Yeah. How are you really- doing? Really great to have you here, man. Uh, I've been looking into your work as we were talking about beforehand, and there's so much depth to what you've done and what you've taken part in. And I got about it like less than an hour into everything predicts 9-11 or the full title is amazing. It's uh, sorry, Cassandra. I misunderstood everything predicts 9-11. It's just such a hook, man. I love it. But that's the extent right now I've, I've, opened my eyes to this level of synchronicity in film. And now I'm like, this is seven hours long and now I'm going to watch all seven hours. Like <laughs> as soon as I'm done talking to you. So uh, this is pretty amazing stuff. Cool. So con- context of, sorry, Cassandra, I misunderstood everything predicts nine 11 is a little lengthy, but I can try and consolidate it. So <laughs> basically cool. like, like I, I had this thing where, um, you know, Joe Alexander, who had done Back to the Future, predicts 9-11. He worked on that while he was playing for the Santa Cruz Warriors. But he played for the Santa Cruz Warriors because he used to play for the Chicago Bulls. He had like a, a knee injury, I believe. And um, he ended up like, you know, playing for he played for Russia. He was born and raised in China. He's not Chinese, but he, you know, he knows Chinese. Mm-hmm. And uh, before he played for Israel. Uh, for Tel Aviv, he basically got a list of of places that he could play in the world, and he couldn't play anywhere for the NBA, um, you know, uh, in the the U.S. But he could play for the Santa Cruz Warriors, and so he was into the whole sync community thing, especially influenced by Jake uh, Kotza or Kotzi, I forget how you say it. You know, I've interviewed him, but I still forget. um but he he's really a big fan of his work and you can kind of see that influence in back to the future predicts 9 11 but uh you know he he contacted me and he was like hey you know i i uh i i have these options but if i go to santa cruz can we produce a a film together uh i didn't contribute much to his film though i did see the process and Mm -hmm. one thing that did happen while he was working on the film 
uh, even though it's like, you know, 11, 12 minutes, whatever. It's a YouTube video. I don't know um, if you've seen that Back to the Future predicts 9-11. Yeah, yes, that's what drove me in. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so like basically, you know, um, he sat in on a study session with me and my rabbi while he was working on that video where we um, this is where it really gets into a long story. I have to consolidate. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but right. uh, but basically there's, um, you know, Andreas has interviewed uh, Leo Zagami. I don't agree with everything Leo's going to qualify that I'm not like, you know, but he has said some things that I have looked into and have checked out. And some of them are pretty extreme. And one of those things, um, many years ago, many, uh, what was that? Seven, eight years ago, something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he had said kind of nonchalantly in, uh, I think it was an interview in a car. He was like in a car and somebody was like, brought up nine 11 and he said, nine 11, that's in the Zohar. And it was a book of splendor, the two, the two pillars collapsing and this kind of thing. And so like I was studying the Zohar at the time with an elderly rabbi who I, who I studied with for over a decade. And so I, when I presented it to him, I didn't, I didn't present it like, Hey, it's nine 11 in the Zohar. I inquired to him, is there any prophecies in the Zohar in the first place? Uh, because from my understanding, it wasn't a prophetic uh, book it's you know three it's it's extremely large it's multiple mm -hmm. volumes and you know you could spend your life you know like studying one of those books and there's plenty to go into endlessly like it's just you know it's so so much there right and so you know i asked him i asked my rabbi that and he said he said he wasn't he wasn't aware of any prophecies in the zohar and so i did you know internet investigation i found i found a reference um that supposedly spoke to 9-11 and Zohar. So Leo Zagami wasn't the only person saying this, although very few people were saying this. And so um, the, the, it's, the thing that's kind of strange is that, uh, you know, there is, there's two sections in the Zohar and one refers you back, refers to where the other one is uh, in commentary from Ramak from the 16th century. So the text on its own, I'm not sure if you would necessarily like look at this text and be like, oh, here's where it continues in another, in another book actually of the Zohar. But in the footnotes, it has a reference and it says, you know, there's to be continued here on this subject matter. And so it is a fact uh, that the Zohar gives the exact date for 9-11, uh, 2001, which appears in Hebrew as a random date. Uh, but the, and it, what's crazy is so it, the kicker is actually commentary from late 15th, early 16th century from the Ramach. And so because in the commentary, it explains the significance of the event in a deep wet details that aren't necessarily included uh, in the text it, itself, which we know is at least as old as the 12th century. Right. So is it is it older than that? That's a debate uh, where it came from. It Everything from, is, de right. is debatable. It's very strange writing, obviously, it, mm -hmm. and for that to have come to the person who sometimes people attribute it to is pretty outlandish. Uh, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a mysterious text, but anyway, yeah, it's this commentary kind of explains what the significance of these two strongholds are, uh, in Rome, but keeping in mind that Rome is basically everywhere, but Israel in the same way that like, you know, Jamaicans would say Babylon and Babylon is, you know, so the, this, this, uh, this event that it refers to, which the commentary relates to Tisha B'Av for the world. So Tisha B'Av is, is literally the, the ninth day of, of the 11th month in the Hebrew calendar. And it's the day that's attributed to the destruction of the temple. And not just that, but multiple tragedies that have befallen uh, the Jewish people over over time. Mm -hmm. And so 
in you know in the Hebrew calendar is a very significant date. And so, you know, this idea, you know, was something that uh, Jake Coates used to argue. I believe it was Scott Onstott who kind of demonstrated uh, the 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 pillars of Masonry and Yaquin and Boaz, and not that Masonry owns those are you know from from Kabbalah, but mm-hmm. you know, there's no there's no literal depiction of Yaquin and Boaz and the Tree of Life in the Zohar. It's all described in text. So mm. like that came later. So when people are looking at a depiction of the Kabbalistic tree of life, it's a little misleading because these are like twisting bodies and it's all one twist. Actually, they say Kether has two right sides and it's because you're looking at the, the, the helix and the way that things twist into form. Oh. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and so, yeah. And then within the, the Kabbalistic tree is a fractal in a sense, mm-hmm. but it's not a fractal in the same sense as like Mandelbrot set because Mandelbrot set is like, if you go into any part, you will find the whole, right? This is more like referencing the way that an organism can have the same dynamic principle expression, but then endless variety within that framework. Hmm. And so in the same way that you can extrapolate the platonic solids from uh, the star tetrahedron or, or just a hexagram, you can, you know, if you're relating to it that way, like you can take all of these figures from this single foundational figure. That's actually what constitutes sacred geometry as opposed right. to regular. Is your geometry even sacred, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Chelsea Quinn, Clinton quote? No. I, I, uh, <laughs> but, uh, most likely, yeah. Right. So, that's so really, it, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah. So just tying it back, it's like, uh, Joe, he sat in on on study sessions where we were going into this and we were we were looking at this text and the things it has to say are really profound. Um, a friend of mine, Amelia Cataldo, has actually helped me uh, type out my longhand because I have years of translations of the Zohar that I wrote out in journals. And oh, so wow. she's take she's helped me take those journals and we're you know, it's still in the process of of you know, uh, you know, there's typos and different things here and there, but it's, it's in the works to, to get that all together, even just for whatever people, you know, cause as far as I know, um, the commentary from Ramak on the, the Zohar is not transcribed. It's not translated into English, uh, in any published work that I'm aware of. So like mm. his, his book, uh, Pardes Ramonin, uh, Garden of Pomegranates, that is available uh in 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 an english translation it's albeit quite expensive but it exists uh this commentary speaking to uh you know 9-11 as far as i know it it hasn't been translated into english by anyone else at least not in any public thing you know yeah uh, coincidence (laughs) right but what's what gets really weird about it is that you know there's these two sections and the first section is much shorter than the second and the first section kind of speaks very highly of Israel. It says Israel will act mightily. And although, you know, keeping in mind, Israel didn't become a nation until what, 1946, 47, excuse me, somewhere, somewhere one of like those that, that uh, you know, it's not, so we're not talking about when we're reading it, we're not relating to anything nationalistic. Obviously we're talking about Israel as a place and, you know, right. It, yeah. But uh, you know, I can see how, as I'm reading it, how somebody was to look at this now through like, kind of like a, zionist lens or something they could take it in a in a certain way that but the second part of the text which is much longer uh it does not speak highly of israel in the Mm. future this is so it also there i I believe it's in the commentary i don't think it's in the text itself but there's something that's um kind of like really um really 
defined where it's making a distinction between a prophecy and a prediction. So it's like, oh. so the, 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 there's predictions uh, of this day and this time and what it purpose is and all this stuff. Um, but that's not actually the prophecy. The prophecy has to do with something that's happening with, uh, with consciousness. So there's a developmental evolutionary thing that's being described. And then it's also, so that belongs to one order of the Sephiroth. That's, that's the emanated flow. That's what we organically are, so to speak, our natural self. Right. And then there's a sustaining order of the empire, which which ha is basically mirrors that, but it's not quite that. So it approximates that, but it's a replication. Like this a mimicry. Then, right, it's a mimicry. This then Kabbalistically relates to the two pillars of the Kabbalistic tree. So when you say Yaakin and Boaz, you're literally saying established in strength. So mm -hmm. established is the right pillar. The left pillar is in strength. It's a paradox because saying in strength as in regards to that, that is the left pillar, it points back at where it came from because really there's only one pillar. And so, so it's, it's like an optical delusion of consciousness at this stage of our evolutionary development. That's so like, really amazing. If you don't mind, uh, just real quick, this just, I don't know how random or how synced up this could be, but like uh, a co-host of mine, Dan Unaki, Dan, he and I do a show very digging way into history, box saga, things like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, we've we play with the idea that like the the enlil and enki are actually just one character mm. like from sumeria and sure. following that theme along kind of reveals quite a bit about a lot of different cultures if it's to be viewed that way like the two into one once again right sure yeah certain things get really interesting especially like keter is literally like taken to mean uh middle brain Mm -hmm. So like if you're talking about like the corpus callosum or you're talking about the pineal or the pituitary, you have these medial parts of the brain. And yeah. so that also suggests when you're relating to Joaquin and Boaz in the lower worlds, you're relating to the two hemispheres of the brain and what's transcendent between them. And so right. and then there's this idea of this divide because you have the split Adam. And when we're talking about that, what are what are we really discussing? Because it's like you could go with like the. Hedwig kind of idea like that's not actually it's it's Plato's symposium where he's like we were we were one which also comes from Genesis but it's this idea that God created male and female as one and then there's this this split or whatever but there's mm -hmm. this idea Kabbalistically that you know you have a, a split that goes in one dimension and it affects the other dimension or vice versa and so you have a spiritual dimension which is a vertical this is like you know Catholics will do the cross thing but these are dimensionals right. you're saying the spiritual dimension oh the absolutely dimension. yeah and so within the Kabbalistic tree that's that's conveyed through the different 22 pathways that connect the the sephirot mm -hmm. and so sephirot literally means numeration so like you know and that's the plural so sephira you know is is a, is singular and so you you have this this idea of things standing out in form and how things take shape and so when you're relating to the Kabbalistic tree, there's actually two orders that 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 are existing at the same time. Those also re relate not just to the two pillars, but also to the different pathways and the directions that they go. So you have diagonal pathways, you have vertical pathways, and you have horizontal pathways. Mm -hmm. And those relate. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ, so flies landing. <laughs> <laughs> we found them. <laughs> actually, you know what? I got like my my housemate has a. I thought it was a mosquito when I first heard it in my buzzing, but no. <laughs> anyway, uh, my housemate uh, has a garden license, a nursery license. Oh, and nice. so we we got like all this compost here, and I think that that might be having a, a fly fly uh, 
brigade that's really attracted to the that's our problem here too like i said before we were recording man and when i lock myself in a room and try to kill a fly it's because we're just like living in a garden basically all around our house so yeah we're growing our own food so (laughs) yeah that's awesome yeah so um so you know so what i'm saying is is i guess what happened just to jump all over the place hell yeah that's what i do sorry cassandra so it's like (laughs) With, with um with sorry cassandra you know uh we, we he, joe didn't anticipate that it would be as huge as it was mm-hmm. and so we got you know millions of views or whatever and there was there was, there was some buzz around it and uh you know so he contacted me afterwards and he was like you know um there's certain things that i was like oh man like we, we th- like this whole like idea of predicting 9-11 i'm like i i actually technically have like like legit like evidence of you know that there's prior knowledge of of 9 11 mm-hmm. and uh you know like that argument and so the 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 treatment of this whole thing is like well you got people debating on the legitimacy of this thing and here's this other factor that's right there that you that him and i know uh but not everybody knows and so he was like hey if i bought you a computer that would work better for like video uh in rendering and encoding uh do, do you think you could produce a sequel and so I was like, yeah, because I was, ha- you know, I was having some computer issues at the time. And so Joe did get me a computer. And so nice. and then beyond that, you know, you you have um, Alan Green and uh, Guillaume. What's Guillaume's last name? I should know this. Um, <laughs> friend in France who does my who does my uh, IT stuff. So, you know, uh, the syncbook.com hosts my videos. Joe kind of helped help produce he as a patron of the arts he helped me you know do what i'm doing so like sorry cassandra i misunderstood is a seven and a half hour long sequel to like a 11 12 minute video that joe did and so and then it's it's not his his is like a very narrated structured thing mine is it's structured but it's like it's it's um I, I kind of do a technique to kind of encourage people to have their own insights without me verbalizing it so i have connections that exist sequentially that things will tie back and relate to each other but it's kind of like it's more of a meditation process along with it it's a completely different approach that's what i'm noticing so far about 45 minutes in you know i'm it's (laughs) it's awesome though it really because at first i was like well all right come on david where's the narration man i need a little bit of help here and i was like well wait a minute just fucking think man start looking what right. is connecting in front of my eyes right so what happened was i i've gone to uh see the shining for a midnight movie and nice. i and i ate a bunch of mushrooms first and <laughs> as, I'm, as i'm waiting for the movie to start like the lights aren't turning off and i'm like time is going by and like 10 minutes past the time i'm like what is going on and eventually somebody comes out and they're like hey we had some problem with the real uh, if you want a free ticket to go see, uh, like, what was it? Uh, Paranormal Activity 2. Uh, we'll give you. And I was like, I can't do it. And I'm coming up on mushrooms. And I'm like, I am out of here. And I walked out of the theater and I walked around downtown Santa Cruz in the middle of the night. And I was like, well, I guess I'm stuck thinking and walking and being with this because I'm, you know, dealing with my situation. Mm. And uh, in that walk, I kind of had this idea. I was like, you know all these people went to go see 2001 a space odyssey when it came out in 1968 and a lot of people ate lsd at the time to do so that's mm. 142 minutes long that movie which is also the same length that oculus is open at ground zero uh every 9 11 so that happened what, oh 
Wow. Yesterday. And so, yeah, which is a big eye. It's Oculus. It's They'll mm. say it's a dove of peace. I think that it's the emblem of the OTO where you have the dove and the chalice in the Vesca Pisces with the eye above it. Oh, I can so see I think that. that's the meaning. So they say dove of peace and then it's an eye. What does that remind me of the OTO sigil thing or whatever you call it? Mm, that makes the, sense. The, the emblem. And mm-hmm. so, and so, uh, I mean, that's a synchronicity. I don't know, but it could be an interesting signature on <laughs> who's yeah. responsible for this, right? Of course, like 77, yeah. 93, <laughs> yeah, 9 11, even Tisha Bob. And so, there's all this stuff. And so, you know, um, I, I'm always, I'm always kind of, um, I don't always like to share about the subject with people because something that's come back to me is is it's really easy for people to look at like 9-11 and the Zohar and say something like uh see the Jews are behind 9-11 this, oh, kind, of, right, this, right. this kind of thing and so, thinking. and so it's there but people need to keep in mind that European occultists are heavily influenced by uh the Zohar and other Kabbalistic texts and there's really um, you know, a certain symbol set that's used throughout all the secret, not so secret societies. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you go and you look at the golden dawn, or if you look at Freemasonry, or look at the OTO, you'll find the same symbol sets being referenced. I have to wonder if people are given a portion of the first section of the text, a translation thereof. Um, you know, when you think about like people like the Wachowski sister mm. brothers, whatever, and you think, <laughs> and you think about like, you know, like why is nine 11, you know, September 11th, 2001 is Neo's passport. And you're right. like, this came out in 1999. If the, if these kind of things, I mean, yeah, synchronicities occur. I'll be the first to completely acknowledge that. And there is an extremely strong argument for prior knowledge of 9-11. If you want to get into like the logistics beyond all the synchronicity stuff or just these connections, like what my actual feelings are uh, coming from, I think I, I discussed this with you on Andreas's thing was like, uh, you know, Webster Tarpley and his kind of explanation of like, you have rogue facets of government. So mm-hmm. you're not like, like, I don't think George Bush knew Jack Smack about 9-11. Like, I think he was as confused as anybody as he's sitting there reading my pet goat upside down. Like, he doesn't know what the hell is right. anything, you know? So like, <clears throat> and I think it, it's, it's how it goes is that those kind of people are kind of left in the dark to a higher degree than most people might assume, you know, as them as leaders or whatever, you know, Absolutely. Dick Cheney's another conversation, but even him, what is he completely privy to, you know, well, it's right. Like, even, uh, even uh, like if you look at Dick Cheney in the sense that, Oh, look at all the money his company made. It's like, all right. So we're talking right. capitalism. This is way down on the food chain. Right. What we're talking about from, from everything that I've seen. Do I think that Israeli intelligence played a part in nine 11 apps freaking lutely. And so did Saudi intelligence and so did American intelligence. Yeah, and it's not just like, the intelligence agencies it's rogue facets within intelligence agencies and within the government mm. and then that that is just you know that's the way things go you know it's like if you've ever looked at proofs of a conspiracy from the late 1700s that work about the illuminati where it's the letter exchange oh yeah from, what is it how do you say it wise hop or whatever is it? Uh, yeah uh why shop yeah thank you yeah so like the all like all of that kind of stuff it's like yeah they had a society they had masonry and then you know the illuminati infiltrated the society that exists brought in new members said we're the real inner society so you can always do that with a secret not so secret society you can always like basically take take members who if they share certain beliefs you kind of weed them out from the crowd and you can kind of you know there's there's a very systematic way to do that that goes way back that there mm-hmm. is proof of there's documentation literally like with that with that book in particular which george washington is has spoken to you can find letters of him acknowledging the 
his feelings around all of that. And he also oh he God. felt that it hadn't spread to America, but that's a little naive and all this kind of stuff. You that's know? incredible. Um, I mean, well, what we're talking about right now kind of reminds me of the movie Network, where at the mm-hmm. end it's like there are no countries anymore. It's like that yeah, was yeah, a yeah. long <laughs> fucking time ago. Like that one best picture in like what 79 or something sure that was even before 1980 which anchorman 2 kind of shows the switch over from where the sensationalism took off and now he's blind and in a lighthouse and what is a lighthouse for but guiding the ships and he's the (laughs) anchorman and he can't guide the ships because he's blind because he's caught up in the sensationalism he doesn't even know what is actually going on and so that's awesome (laughs) veronica cornerstone corningstone is is, cornerstone is left with she's interviewing yasser arafat and it says israel question mark is what she's left hanging with when it cuts over to the police chase. And so you're talking about network that's seventies. That's even before that shift happened, you know? So like Mm -hmm. they were hip to hip to the transition and we've even seen more and more of that transition. If you go and watch that 60 minutes, uh, what is that Walter Cronkite where he's like doing the, the, um, the swine flu vaccine issues and the bait and switch that, that that and the way that they they told people they were giving them one thing and actually they're giving another and you get to watch mary tyler Moore like apologizing and feeling like she shouldn't have been involved in what she was a part of and all this kind of stuff she's like i didn't know and like just the vast difference i guess is what i'm saying but right right so anyways just to tie it back i was i was walking along pacific avenue and it occurred to me i was like i love the idea of a film that's made to be the length of a trip but not only that like trips go through uh, psychedelic trip goes through these different periods you know yeah. there's like these different like like you know sequence and i'm like that's very much like a movie except it's like eight hours long and i was like i want that build up that climax intermission like yes. the, and then had tying things back together in the final stretches and like i saw i was like this elongated movie and i just had this kind of like idea for an elongated film so you know i just i i i put a i put a lot of work into it the whole thing actually i lost everything my hard drive crashed oh uh, after God. the first version of sorry cassandra which i spent like months on and then uh, my my hard drive crashed and I, and I never was able to retrieve the data um oh, and so i had to like not only redo it but like re get all these films again and like go through this whole process so that it's a collage it's a visual collage and i, I do other kinds of like little literal collage work yes but, and they're you incredible know, digital these days and yeah, so like you know and even the, the the album film pairings are a type of collage in a sense you know mm-hmm. um yeah the wizard yeah. of oz and pink floyd being like the the penultimate that everyone knows about of course you know right i think second to that would be um jupiter and beyond the infinite the final sequence of 2001 a space odyssey mm. with, pink, with pink floyd echoes which both sequences from the title jupiter and beyond the infinite two written and directed by stanley kubrick is 23 minutes and 26 seconds long which is also the exact same length um as uh as echoes from pink floyd's metal and so that's the whole thing like and to get into (laughs) like roger waters responses to to stanley kubrick and like including him in the amused to death album and the backwards message where it's very you know he's speaking to stanley he refers to him as a book burner which i've always found peculiar i don't know why stanley kubrick was a book burner in roger waters eyes it's an odd ad hominem statement i wonder what he's encoding with that it's very strange i once saw roger waters perform at the shoreline amphitheater he had only one prop 
and it was a television set turned sideways that played 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> from beginning to end through the performance there was no giant pig there was no lasers there was only that and i could see that it was like he wanted that to be the focal point why right. sideways because the probably because the monolith is the screen itself turned at an angle and it's all about you know the monkey tilting his head you know the the new yeah. way of looking you know it's a space odyssey you know and, and so, tying yeah. that into 9-11 too like i mean th this Huge. is amazing th this idea of pre everything predicts 9-11 right. uh so when i stumbled on this looking you up it was like okay this is kind of things that i've been working out for a long time just on a completely different topic it could be it's like um it's we're not talking about like intentional conscious human behavior with like evil bad guys rubbing their hands together mm -hmm. and that's the interesting part because we put so much responsibility on synchronicity or with for synchronicity on the elites the cabal the evil group the parasites the the this the that the all-seeing eye like we give them so much credit and i wonder what is your take on on the it's, difference between the two? And are they yeah. aware of all those thought processes going on? Is there a they? What, what do right, you think? Well, the, the line is in the sand. So mm -hmm. I would recommend, like, if you want to see, um, look at a Scott Onstott presentation and what takes place. Because what happens is he's looking at structures and, and things that are obviously intentional when you're looking at measurement. And like mm -hmm. what is encoded into the measurement of different structures, like the Great Pyramids or like Capitol Building or like the format of Washington, D.C., even San Francisco. He looks mm -hmm. at uh, all around the world, you know, Stonehenge, like Jerusalem, like and he, he sees these patterns um, and these reoccurrences that are so specific and they often carry meaning with them. What's mm -hmm. really cool about Scott Onstott is that he doesn't take I've never seen him take an ultimate stance on on intentionality or not he's just following the data and something really amazing happens at a certain point because he'll start looking he's looking at these structures and their distances from each other and all this stuff and find the speed of light encoded and you know like it's just right. what what the hell this kind of stuff um with such an inaccuracy that's out of control mm -hmm. and then he'll start looking at like land masses the, the 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 length of the continents themselves and like these like other levels to it and then you'll find the same things occurring and as far as i can tell it's that we're we're relating to things as though these are absolutely separate and they might be separate ultimately but that doesn't change the fact that you know there is an organizing principle that exists in nature there, there's a way that things are kind of like a certain gravity that kind of like brings things into place of like how like when it comes to like an evolutionary advancement we only really evolve if we register the need for it on like a primordial level like in mm. other words like you develop eyes out of a primordial desire to see ears out of a primordial desire to hear like you know this is where our senses come from but like we can't develop a new sense until that need is recognized and there's no amount of belief or concept conceptual understanding that can ever really carry that that push that to happen Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of this idea that our breakdown, like our dual, our breaking down of duality, that's kind of like being forced now because it's, you know, nature is the way that nature is. It's loaded with, with paradox. And it's like, yeah. we exist in like a freaking MC Escher painting, you know, <laughs> like 
but yeah. that's just but that's just the way like things, exasperated the way into things existence. are right right and so it's like and then at the same time like this goes on this is reality there isn't there is a higher order to our happenings and we are not separate from the processes of nature mm-hmm. and then at the same time there is a very contrived um you know push for us to like kind of imitate and it's that it's that imitation so that's like right. probabilistically that's where the clip out enter in and when we're relating to something that's outside of the emanated flow that can't influence the emanated flow itself per se, but what it can do is it can create like restraints on it. It can, con- it can contract. You can, mm. you can, you can um, kind of, um, you know, uh, squeeze the emanated Distract flow. It. So yeah, you can't really, <laughs> it's like water. It's like, you can't stop it, but yeah, you can okay. try and dam it up. But then you, can you piss know, it off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like it's going to do what it's going to do. Right. And so that's like that. That's where we we kind of come across this kind of like this this business of the of the two orders. And the key is, is what is primary. And if we're relating to the topical, more simple, su- superficial level as the primary reality, uh, we can experience a version of things. But we're, what we're getting is like kind of like a reflection of a reflection it's kind of hard to describe but it's like <laughs> that's a really man yeah, yeah you're like if we're relating to the sheath that's between us and that reality we can manipulate that sheath and see that manipulation as proof of what's going on beyond it but really it's just happening on its own level and mm. so like my my feeling is that we're actually like as a species is pretty far out and this is what i've taken from the zohar but it's this idea that we're literally like going through the pains of giving birth to the next species which is unknown, but kind of inferable because we can. And the reason it's inferable is through the troubleshooting of like us recognizing on a fundamental level in our consciousness, what doesn't work. And then like, and so like that, that breakdown is how, like, that's a, it's also a very alchemical idea, you know, that in the transmutation process, there's kind of this distilling down into the, to what's, what's essential. And so mm. like, uh, you know, and it's not enough, like you can't fake this. So like when people talk about like, oh, we're all one or this or that, it's like, yeah, that's true. And in the midst of that, you know, it's like we can negate diversity in the name of unifying. And it's just, you end up with this homogenized thing. And it's like, that's the same crap coming through the back door. Like you, there's right. no, in other words, like it's, it's guarded naturally, like whatever the natural state is, is like, it's, it's, it's guarded by, and it's even like our cells. Like that's the thing you find in psychoanalysis. It's like the way Dude. that our own neuroses, like it works as a guard to something that's like, it's unknown. And and there's also the, this idea that like, you know, what we're relating to frequently as our problem of like, of like, you know, the pain body fight or flight, like the reptilian mm. brain, like all these things, like, you know, that itself is what gets transformed. Like, it's not that it's something different. It's like that. I think it sounds hokey, but like, it's actually kind of cool now. Cause like Eckhart Tolle, like if you reference Eckhart Tolle, like a number of years back, it's like, Oh, some crystal hippie crap right, or whatever. Yeah. But Hey, guess what? Eckhart Tolle's canceled. Because Eckhart Tolle's views around identity completely go against like the the ideology that's now being really pushed where everything is so identity focused. Right. And so that's why I kind of love it. I'm like, wow, he actually got edgy. Like he was, you know, he was saying things on Oprah and crap and she was kind of whatever. It's kind of it's one place where it's like, oh, that's actually kind of cool to get exploited there. You know, whatever. <laughs> but I'm like, that's like another level of trolling, you know? And it's yeah, like, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. I remember seeing that and like, it, it was it's because his work is yeah you can't avoid how you feel about that in in those circumstances and it's interesting because that to me 
showed it's like, okay, well, this guy kind of has, he's not some puppet like put here. Like he's not some new age, horrible satanic, all these things that this yeah. conspiracy community kind of thrives around. And it's like, there's a constant throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to occultism That's and right. the esoteric world. And like you were saying before, the idea that like, oh man, like the occult originally to me is like hidden within. And my, I've had, I've said this on the podcast many times, and I'm thinking you can probably relate that I met the biggest conspirator of all, and he was in here and like guarding all the patterns and all the answers to why I do things. And, you know, that I guess I've heard it also explained as like the inner child, like you can use whatever Mm. kind of language you want, but it's, we're really talking about all the same archetypes, right? Right. Yeah, totally. It's pretty wild. Yeah, so I, I've actually, I, this is the most odd. If you're going to name drop somebody, name dropping Eckhart Tolle sounds <laughs> so <laughs> twisted. But yeah, I have actually met Eckhart Tolle before, and he is he is a funny guy. I used to work at a, a conference center at Mount Madonna Center in, here in uh, Watsonville, uh, Santa Cruz, uh, County. Mm-hmm. He he uh, he used to come through there, and I have actually recorded his like seminar things before on cassette tape. <laughs> it was That's years ago. awesome. That's but cool. yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's 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 funny as hell. But I guess the point that I was making is he talked about the pain body, mm-hmm. and this idea that we're relating to the pain body that it's something we need to get rid of, like when that arises, like when you're in fight or flight or something like that. And so actually, those are the most opportune times, like in a fight or flight situation, to have a a a, a, a actual transformation. That's not really you just transforming your belief system, but it's actually a direct insight. And so mm. like with sorry, Cassandra, like I want to encourage like a direct insight from people. Like I didn't like it's I could I could compartmentalize and explain things. And that's why I wanted to avoid the narration is because that's there's there's so much of that I'm not against it. I like it. I love yeah, what Joe what Joe did with it. And, you know, Joe, when he did that, he's totally putting on a, a character. That's like his, What's the back his, to the future. The back to the future thing is is like a satire that actually ultimately for the person who did it he actually believes what he's saying but he delivered it purposely and kind of like a parody of conspiracy videos yeah like a hokey conspiracy way yeah Yeah, yeah because that's the thing and you put it in that package and it makes it more interesting and if he would have listened to me when he was working on it it wouldn't have done as well not nearly as well probably who knows like because he showed me what he was working on like you're not going to do it like that are you like it's like this (laughs) conspiracy video like aren't you just going <laughs> to share the information and explain how you know what we know and what we don't know or whatever and he was just like he was just like he's just going to do it the way he's doing it i'm like okay you know what i'll step off <laughs> and so like he know he he knew what he was doing when he did that and it was it was very intentional you know? i mean it's funny because i get that but at the same time to me like even if i think synchronicity goes way beyond some controlling human force and i think it's a part of nature it still feels like a conspiracy to me like it still right. feels like what are these patterns and i know i've actually said that on sync tank and you kind of elucidated that idea that we really don't know and does it really have a meaning or is it kind of just is nature just going this is what you're doing Right. And it's just like t- showing us sh- the same. It's a mirror or something like that. You know, but, and, and <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Forrest Gump, when mm-hmm. he's at, I think his mother's grave, and he's like, he's like, you know, Lieutenant Dan said, we're just like, I'm going to butcher this quote, but he said something along the lines. He's like, Lieutenant Dan said, we're like a bunch of balloons floating around in space with no rhyme or reason or nothing. 
And he goes, but mama always said that everything happens for a reason, that there's a purpose behind things. And he's like, I think maybe it's both. I think maybe both are happening at the same time. Mm. Sample that. It's pretty good. That's but, beautiful. <laughs> but that, but that, but that in, in principle. And so that's the thing yeah. is that when, you, when you're looking at the way that things are, that influences occur, it's like the a freaking MTV Music Awards years ago when it was Duncan's ritual, like to the T, every single performance in order of the of the of the initiation ritual for Freemasonry, you could see they like used all the symbols for that. And even when freaking Kanye did that thing where he was like, he was like Taylor Swift got the award, and he's like, this should have gone to oh uh, right right Beyonce, and you're like that even that was like testing the initiate, and the initiate oh, right. was 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 taylor was taylor swift and like pink had the blindfold and half her chest exposed with a checkered print and they raised her up in the air it was the testing of the blindfold the whole the whole thing was just filled with that mm. absolutely a celebration of freemasonry <coughs> that That's... shit's intentional right and right. then beyond that you can find places where it's like this is actually just like the order of things like the kabbalistic tree is like or the, like the organism itself it's lightning it's a tree it's our bodies it's the fibonacci sequence it's just right. the way things things are and you can you know we had alex fulton on the the show you know and it's like alex fulton is like mapped out all these patterns that are just repeatedly like on the money like over and over again You're like how does that happen how is it that stanley kubrick was born exactly 600 oh no Stanley Kubrick died exactly 666 days after the first time a computer beat a, a chess champion, at, a chess master at chess. So that was Big Blue designed by IBM, which is each one letter removed from HAL, IBM, HAL. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was 666 days before 1101. So January 1st, 2001, exactly 666 days before. So it's it's in both directions. Right. And the, the first film, probably the only film up to that, that uh, you know, I don't know what films there are where a computer beats a man at chess. That happens in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's, you know, that's the thing. And then you're getting into the AI stuff. AI came out in 2001 from Spielberg, who, in my opinion, was completely dancing all over. Uh, Kubrick's grave. Kubrick wasn't into the Hollywood stuff. You can find interviews with mm -hmm. um, Steven Spielberg describing his relationship with Kubrick, and uh, it, it from everything I've gathered, looking at the archives, it looks like he just completely um, did what he wanted to do, what Spielberg wanted to do, mm -hmm. and ignored everything that Kubrick wanted that film to be for the most part. And so, like that, it that film would have been freaking terrifying. I mean, that would have been scarier than the The Shining for sure. You know, like would, what AI? AI, yeah, yeah. It, AI oh, was absolutely man. the whole original conception. Of that was absolutely terrifying. Uh, about you know our 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 future with AI, even like when we're when we're gone, the AI goes and like takes our DNA and like gives us kind of like it gives us a tailored version of hell. And so like oh they, it's, it's so it's like it's in like an actualization of the book of Revelation that the AI accomplish uh, after we're gone. But they start with CEOs and politicians and they basically <laughs> give them custom hells based on their Internet histories. And oh, so, Jesus. like, that's yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's next level. And I so, see why they didn't do that. <laughs> well, you want to make a family film, you want to make a family friendly. The whole thing at the end that they made into this fairy tale thing, which it was based right. on Pinocchio, but it's like a terrifying vision of Pinocchio. I don't know, 
what the new um Guillermo del Toro version of Pinocchio is going to be. It might suck. It might be awesome. But yeah, like that's going to be I'm interesting. Kubrick was obsessed with Pinocchio. Pinocchio is all about AI. Absolutely. I mean, it's that, that thing that wants to be sentient that's not sentient. And it's, it's from like nothing. It's something from nothing. Yeah. You know? Right. And so as far as like, I have a whole trip out on 2001: A Space Odyssey with Rosemary's Baby. If you start Rosemary's Baby on the Dawn of Man opening, they're the exact same length. Both, but and and they both deal with childbirth. One is the birth of the Antichrist. The other one with the Star Child is the birth of the Christ. So you have this this perfect juxtaposition, and those then relate specifically to the orders of the Sephiroth. If you add up the titles for 2001 with the Dawn of Man, Ju- uh, Jupiter Mission, 18 months later, and Jupiter Beyond the Infinite, the total of the English gematria is 777, which is the gematria of the lightning flash that extends through the Kabbalistic tree. As you move through the film, they go through the planets in order as you would ex- as you would ascend up the tree. That Jupiter Beyond the Infinite is actually the crossing uh, related to in a European sense of Da'at. Um, you know, uh, that, that's wow. and it's it's the flaming sword and the, protecting the garden. Like that's why, mm. like the dawn of man, it's like the Eden story and how the whole thing ties back around on itself and then integrates this idea of, of evolution into it. Because you know, this is would be news to a lot of people, I guess. But like the Zohar is very focused on evolution, as far as I can, as far as one can tell, because it's dealing with mutation. And mm-hmm. so it's like the last thing we see affected is the organism itself because of the nature that true transformation takes place. It starts at the etheric. And the last thing we see get, get affected is actually the, the organism or the material, you know, the dense side of it, because the way our perceptual reality works is we're always kind of like looking upon the skin of the snake, so to speak, like mm-hmm. while the, the middle of us is beyond that, you know, it's hard to explain, but it's why no, Moses like can't it. look on the face of God, like mm-hmm. his hands get covered and all he can see is God's back parts, because how can you look upon yourself when you are yourself? I am that I am. So it's right, always before, right. before, before, which is very relatable to the the yoga idea of, of neti neti, of the not this, not this, that it's a, it's the path of negation is the is you don't have to reach a point where you as you ultimately you don't have to reach a point where you assert what is if you're negating what isn't that so it's like in terms of the self like you know so (laughs) yes yeah i found myself tripping many times with friends and we would end up uh we would call them like endless like a circus of similes because mm. we just constantly be like, it's like this, it's like that. And we'd be spouting metaphors and similes for an hour straight trying to describe, oh, uh, what? <laughs> we don't even know what we're describing, but it's this thing that we keep dancing around and cannot name. And then, I mean, I guess one could say that it's yourself, but I find that that might be only half the story, right? You know, it's like right. it is this collective, we are all one kind of thing at a higher scale as well. So even that self-indulgent, like we're all God is kind of, it's paradoxical still. Like you can't put language to it. It seems right. Right. Well, it's, it's in the, 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 you know, the infinite variety of, of form and the particulars of that, that you follow any thread, you find the whole in every part. Like, so it's like this, yeah. So this idea of like, when you say, when people say we're one and the way they want to treat it, they want that to be actually that we're the same. And it's like, yes, like fundamentally, like you'll experience the emotions, the same emotions that I will. Your experience of love is my experience of love. Your experience of hate is my experience of hate. You'll just experience it at different times and at different degrees and over different things, you know, but the thing itself, the, the, the elements that compose us are the same. Right. And so, like, this seems really like, I don't know, I feel like I'm being Captain Obvious over here. 
I, you wouldn't think that you'd have to like go here, but it is true that people do this, do this thing where when they want to relate to what it means to be in harmony, that it's actually that we believe the same things. We're on the same page completely. Mm. And it's like, not that's, that's different than just like resonance. That's like, no, it's like you, you need all these variations. And so I feel like that's like a, it's like a big issue in, in society in general is this kind of like demand that in order for us to be able to connect, we have to kind of like be the be the same beyond the elements. You like know, the world like, be the echo chamber, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what, well. You I know, mean, that goes along with like a new world order kind of idea of just total monotonous cogs in a machine, one way or another. I mean, it's right. weird too when I kind of I think about two ends to this two very dualistic ideas of how our story has been going. And it seems like there's a very naturalistic side to things and there's a very new bursting away from the natural. Right. And when you take a step back, it's all nature. So it really doesn't matter, but at least to us, there's like this split, it seems, but it really comes back around as, as one and the same, because if you look at the very extreme old heathen pagan ideas of naturalism and worshiping nature, you are all cogs in a machine in a way you're all part of a bigger whole. And now we're seeing that come out the other end of this thing in the form of what we see in our contemporary world. So it's like the matrix it's tech it's terminator. It's every sci-fi robotic thing you could imagine or, or reference because that's the, the world we live in right now. And of course, in the, from a conspiratorial point of view, we can point to a lot of different things, a lot of different entities in society and what's all congealing together. And we can look at it in an evil way or this or that. But like, I'm just curious what your take on that is like, is it just part of the naturalistic process happening, but in a contemporary world? Well, or we have like is a, it some sort yeah. of human influenced evil egoic kind of group that wants to fucking enslave everybody? What do you think? Hmm. Uh, I think that the that the the ancient ritual of the scapegoat mm -hmm. uh, is something that we do all the time uh, unconsciously. And okay. that th this is why, like when uh, Kubrick gave the head of Warner Brothers in the 1970s an unab unabridged edition, a set of volumes of The Golden Bough, and bugged him every week for a year about reading it. And eventually the executive said, Kubrick, I don't have time for mythology. And Kubrick responded, this isn't mythology, this is your life. I think the reason why he said that is because it is exactly that. That when we look at anthropology, not like Margaret Mead anthropology so much, but like the Cambridge Fraser and anthropology of old, mm, yeah. we can find specific examples of things that we just do unconsciously. And a lot of those things that we do are also like the very things that are um, kind of were manipulated by because of these kind of innate tendencies. So like, and it, it happens unconsciously. And I think that it gets directed through a kind of Bernaysian uh, PR so like basically like when they know people's kind of subconscious motivations uh, that sometimes people themselves aren't completely aware of, they can they can kind of direct our consciousness in a certain way to achieve certain results. And so that's where we get engineered consent, which is the okay. name of a, of a book that Bernays published. I believe it was perhaps his last mm -hmm. book. I think his first book was called Propaganda. Right. And then he had uh, he had to, uh, you know, coin another term because propaganda had gotten such a bad rap with the nazis 
So mm-hmm. I think I, I do believe that that absolutely goes on. And also, I happen to feel that the entertain, entertainment industry, so-called entertainment industry, that it works as a sort of protective sheath for people who actually determine policy and influence our lives directly. And that the the arts are basically used as a cover for that. So that as long as we're scapegoating and hanging out to dry, people that are doing some lesser version of what actually goes on with people that affect our lives in not just like, you know, a media type of way necessarily, mm-hmm. but like in like really significant ways that actually affect our freedoms and, you know, our, our very beings, you know, because like, I you know, if you if you listen to like, uh, Wes Craven or somebody talk about his rationalization for horror and the way he relates to it, you'll find he's going to talk a lot about psychoanalysis and uh, people's neuroses and mm-hmm. means to reflect upon ourselves. And he's, he's a lot of those people that make those kind of things. You're one might be surprised. Ari Aster, um, a more a more contemporary director, very young, producing really uh, heavy hitting things, oh, Midsommar yeah. and this kind of stuff. And you listen to what they have to say about their about their art, if they explain their art and it it, it makes sense what they're doing. But, uh, you know, like I'm also of the feeling that like um, that sensationalism kind of imbues art. And it's like once something is, it's like that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. To, it's, it's like it, it's like Sam Mendes saying, I wish, you know, I didn't have Kevin Spacey in American beauty, because now that it's come out, he, he's done what he's done. He just ruins my movie. I'm like, no, dude, he imbued your movie just like, and it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it's dude, like, seriously, <laughs> like, cause if you just look at it, like objectively, like, so, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't mean that it's a good thing. It's a terrible thing. No, right, but, right. At the, but at the same time, that's the artistically speaking, that's the, the truth of the matter, you know? And so like, I have different feelings around what constitutes art, than some people who I talk to and it's it's fine it's just the way it is but like my feeling is like one of the major things in my view of what constitutes art is very much like subversiveness and but the but subversion has more to do like you can you can uh that expresses itself in a multitude of ways so mm-hmm. like if something is subversive to the ego like uh, that's it that's a way that like like a, a portrait like if you're doing a portrait of somebody like and they're affected by it in different ways that is a form of subversion if you right. if even if they like it or dislike it, whatever it is, that reaction that, you know, and so uh, I feel like that's kind of like what what really what really uh, constitutes uh, art and also like the word uh, empathy, you know, where we get that term is from the art world, you know, that that is like if you look at a painting and something is transmitted to you through that painting that came from the painter without words, you know, mm. without articulation, it's just, there's, a, there's an insight that occurs. That's where we get this idea of empathy. And it's funny how we've turned that around and be like, I'm an empath or whatever. It's like, <laughs> what is that? What are we really saying here? Like that you perceive like the, you know, the intention of something beyond, you know, the, the verbalizations, you know, that, 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 that lines up in a lot of right. ways, I would say. Yeah. That's so, so sorry, Cassandra, in, in large part too was inspired by a quote that I share in the film. I think it's like 30 minutes into it, something with, with from Stanley Kubrick where I kind of have the title shows up. So that it's, um, you know, oh, what is it? You just I could, saw it. I could find it, man. <laughs> I, could find, I could find it, but um, I could literally pull it up. Yeah. It's, it's um, this idea of like, you know, that's, that something needs to. Okay. If you really want to communicate something, um yeah i can't get it. <laughs> explain it like directly 
only goes about half an inch. If yeah. you want, if you want to get people to the point where you know, I'm going to butcher this again, but if you want, if you want to have them actually get a reception of of insight, you know, uh, you have to getting them, getting them to the point where they have to think about what it is that you're getting at, and then realizing it for themselves. That goes straight through to the heart. And so like that premise is like, I really love that. And like, you know, people will make assumptions when they're approaching something around what it is that this is about or what it is that it's getting at. And the whole way it kind of, you know, it doesn't necessarily do what I think most people might expect. Like it kind of like brings things together in an unusual way, but it does bring things together. And so like, I don't know, I, I, I like that, like, you know, um, the element of surprise while something still fits you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's it's not tim and eric where it's just like wow that's really in fact i don't know if that means anything that just seems (laughs) absurd you know (laughs) like i'm not i'm not the hugest tim and eric fan but one thing i will say is i like uh what it feels like to me is it's very similar to that show that andy kaufman wanted to do Mm -hmm. that he never got to actually do that's what that reminds me of you know (laughs) very like just extremely self-aware comedy right so it's like random but how random is random as william s burroughs would say you know Mm, exactly yeah that's a good point so what are some more examples of like everything predicting at a level we had like the zohar we've got uh back to the future that blew me away when i first originally saw that Mm -hmm. little film and everything yeah and there's so much more it's like when you say everything predicts it, what do you really mean by that? What I'm actually talking about is that the the principal dynamics involved in 9-11, according to the Zohar, are repeated in various forms following the, the event where basically it's escalating the same the same dynamics involved. So when you're looking at at the two towers collapsing, you're looking at an art like what is an archetype that is beyond perception being represented in being pointed to in form and that the collapse of those two pillars actually represents the collapse of the, the, you know, the dual dualistic structure that we've used as a placeholder uh, for most direct way to put it is, is the exile of Shakina. Mm-hmm. So like as, as long as that, that aspect of, you know, Yudhe Vavhe is is in is pushed to the bottom of this of the social structure, that there will be a placeholder that kind of mimics it. And so that's like like Crowley really just goes all the way with articulating this. And like Crowley's t- tarot, like the Thoth deck, like that that is like a very it's extremely honest about like this what it is that we've we've propped up so like what stands not as what's pointed to in the purest form of like what those those arcana are made to represent but it's literally like what is the what is our tendency as like in in like culturally like what is our where where do we gravitate and the idea is that we gravitate towards the left in in with the aspiration unconscious or otherwise to conquer the right so like mm. in, implicitly it's so this relates to Zohar like th- it's very rare that I ever meet anybody that is relatively studied in traditional Kabbalah while also being relatively well studied in European mysticism. 
Mm-hmm. And so like, and that goes for like the OTO as well. So like if, if somebody's like familiar with traditional Kabbalah and then approaches what we see from the OTO and the Golden Dawn, a lot of information comes out of that that you wouldn't otherwise get if you went to either well on its own. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're get, taking water from these two different wells and you're not necessarily like, you know, combining them to see how they actually correlate. Right. And so like, you know, there there's, there's very significant points. So when Crowley has his strength card or like what, what is lust for him in the Lady Frida Harris deck is that, you know, like that's, that's Oz. So like in Hebrew, the word strength is Oz. So when you say Yaakin and Boaz, you're saying established in strength. That is the pathway for, in European occultism for, you know, the pathway between Chesed and Gavora. And so that, that is literally the, the upper part of the two, the two pillars, so to speak. So when Philip Petit, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but the French man who put the wire between the two towers that Joe references in his video with the film The Walk, yeah. uh, when he did that, that was an extremely symbolic act. And what makes it even more significant is the fact that apparently the symbolism wasn't where he w- he was just doing what he was doing. Right. And so it almost feels like those buildings were like put there for that to happen. Like that's the art. So it's like, and that's like when people talk about like the great work, they're literally talking about like, this is a massive art project. It's like a rich mandala or something. Yeah. And it's I like, often say that like, you know, up close and personal, it can look evil. It can look chaotic and random, but the further out in scale we go and usually through psychedelics, that's a good helping uh, way to do it. Sure. You see this masterpiece that has order to it and it has not just order, but novelty and nuance and human humanity it's it's right. a humanness there right so there's 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 two names there's the uh, there's oz mm-hmm. which is it's gamatria 77 uh it not only means strength but uh but it has the gamatria of a she-goat uh mm-hmm. the the greek gamatria of pan i believe is also 77 which is interesting it's still pan and huh. greek um you'll find correspondences between the Greek gematria and the Hebrew, and which will even be referenced, like even in the book of Revelation, when you say the number of a man, it's equating it with the Hebrew, even though you're reading it in Greek. Right. And so where that okay. comes from, because 216 is the gematria of Devorah. So 216 is six times six times six. So six times six times six plus seven plus seven plus seven is 237. So- Oh the, shit, room yeah, 237. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then the, one, the 777 relates to the lightning flash uh, pathway 216 relates to Gavora, which is how the Klipo enter the tree is through Gavora, through judgment. Holy and shit. so what the what the Zohar communicates is this idea that, you know, that 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 like as we're moving through time, that there like what constitutes the breakdown in consciousness is that there's a, a buildup, which is first really, really pushed forward over this long period. It's all a fall, right? It's just a perpetual fall. Mm. The key thing keeps falling. So like there's the initial fall in the garden, so to speak. And then from there, you have every time the temple collapses and every time these things befall us that we're getting closer to the bottom. Once we get to the to the full bottom, then we go back to the top in a new form. So like even Christians will have this idea, even fundamentalist Christians, and it sometimes gets translated as kind of a rationalization for like, let's use up the reserves. What does it matter? Everything goes back in a new form. And so it's like this, mm. this kind of idea. So there's a distinction between like, you know, looking at the thing in an insightful way versus like rationalization for whatever it is that you're doing right. you know and it's a bit of a there's a bit of a paradox there it's like in the matrix when they know that this is the prophecy but we still have to 
exercise our free will, even though we know like it's, 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 it doesn't it's quite, paradox. yeah, it's a total paradox. Yeah. Everything is paradoxical. That's just the way it is. It's freaking crazy. Yeah. But, and it's hard for us to accept because we want there to be this one side. That's the final word, but it, the thing twists and even the two sides of the Kabbalistic tree are actually one twisting thing. So it's mm. like, it's, it's all kind of this optical delusion of consciousness you know so so we really should not be looking at like i so i mean i've seen a lot of people that are very good with symbolism i mean of course it, it's it's very up to interpretation many most of the time but you know looking at 9-11 ritualistically but then directly connecting it to like the two into one as in one world order uh one right. you know new world order right and i I see that, but I always, I mean, me and my psychedelic mind always felt like that was too small. That's too right. nationalistic. That's too 20th century, man. Well, the idea it, is that it gets you know? enshrouded. And the reason uh -huh. why they're able to predict it is that this is the human tendency is that we do this thing. So just like with the temple, it's like there's a warning not to build the temple because you know it's going to collapse, but we do the thing anyway. And so it's just like, what happens when we do this? What happens when we do this? And like looking up to the sky, like what's, is anything going to take place? And so mm -hmm. the idea is, is that that propels us. This is in the Zohar that it says that it propels us towards a one world government, that event. And that the dynamics along the way that we keep experiencing in our relationship with the, with the world powers is basically like reiterating this one template dynamic that is 9-11 over and over and over again uh, mm -hmm. until we actually reach that one world government. When we actually get to that point where that small of a people control the rest of everybody, that that is that is like a pyramid. So they equate this with Gavora. They say Gavora is an eye atop a pyramid. This right. is, I believe, it's referencing the Ba here. And so I found I found a, a reference in the Zohar referencing the Ba here. It related to Gavora as a red eye, and then it had this idea that you know that that Chesed is literally like the base of this pyramid. And so it's described as like like. Sorry to jump all over the place with the allegory. Not at that's all. That's what the Zohar it. is like. So it's like it's basically describing this peg. And the mm. peg is like a there's like a teeter-totter attached to the peg. And it says that the collective mind of like our left brain collectively thinks to conquer the right side of ourselves. Right. And so it's going to defeat it with compartmentalization and putting belief systems and putting everything in place. It wants to defeat this other aspect of ourselves. We have two processors. You have like a parallel processor and a serial processor. And one processor thinks it can take the place of the other one. Right. But, but it describes this movement. So it says following this event over time that we get closer and closer towards this one world government. As we get closer, that the 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 teeter-totter, so to speak, starts to tilt and and gravity takes over. And we start to move through that thing we had set out with the ambition to conquer. And as we approach it, it becomes larger and larger. And what we realize is that the thing that we thought we were going to devour is actually going to devour the other side. Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing basically like like is larger, that the base of the pyramid is larger than the top. In our, this is ourselves, right? Dude, so we're talking with, about paying yeah. attention to things. Like we're right. talking about attention. Like we're right. giving negative, like, you know, all, everyone says that every meditator is like, well, you know, focus on the positive, right? Don't say tomorrow. I'm not going to drink. Say right. tomorrow. I'm going to go running. <laughs> right. But what's, what's, what's effed up about, about this, this portion of what it's describing in the Zohar. And I, I did have to look it up for the particulars because there's also the commentary, which I take just as significantly for me mm -hmm. to understand the text but it's this this idea of like the arrogance so that we think we have this level of control 
And then what we find is that the thing that we're thinking we're defeating is actually closer in the emanation to the source. So it itself isn't the source. The right brain isn't the source, but it's closer in the way that things twist in the form. Because just mm. like how you have a spiral on your head, like you shave your head and you see that right. spiral and we wear the, the yarmulke, you know, is that things twist and they twist in one direction. And we relate to things through duality as though these were the same, but there's this twist and that's everything. And so that also wow. then relates to that that gulf between the supernal triad of the Kabbalistic tree and the lower seven uh, sephirot is that there's this impossible leap because there's no diagonal between Bina and Chesed. And in order to get there, you have to go straight from Keter in the center to Teferet in the lower center. And so that's a vertical spiritual dimension. So it's showing you in the Kabbalistic tree that there's this one dimension to direct dimension to the Godhead, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and that from where it, we are. From where we are in the lower worlds. And that that exists. It's here all the time. We already have it. It's already in place. Right. It's like there's no re-yoga, like to unify is to unify. Like we have religion, but there's no re-yoga. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, and, right. Oh, religion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And so that's G. That's Gimel. Is that uh -huh. vertical pathway. And so as far as I can tell, I was talking about this recently on the other sh show, is that that seems to be the meaning of the Masonic G, as far as I can tell. Because, yeah, you I know, when you have the square that. in the compass, because you have you have Keter, uh, Chochmah, and Bina, and then you have Tiferet, Gavora, and Chesed, and then you have, you have the square, and you have the compass, and you have what's in between them is this vertical pathway. And in order to get that 777 lightning flash, you have to pretend that that vertical pathway is a diagonal when it in fact is not. So and, it's like trickery yeah. on yourself or something. Yeah. It's like trick yeah, yeah. yourself. Right. Which is why we need a confessional and somebody to, to, to confess your sin, an intermediary. There's no need for an intermediary. If you right. have this direct connection. So well, whenever like, you go like that, you know, it's like, you know it's saying? like chaos magic, man. It's like, I got that so fast, probably because of my psychedelic background. You know, it's like, Oh, so magic is okay. Yeah. It depends on who you are. You don't, you know, if you want to dress up, if that helps, then okay. But right. you, it's really in the, it's in you. It's all you. It's just sure. all you. And you it's know? all, it's all uh, gray seal from Elton John or whatever the songwriter's name was, but you know, gray seal is one of the greatest fucking songs ever written in my opinion. And so, like me. what? <laughs> why is it never light on my lawn? Why the rains never says good day, good day to the newborn. As it's oh, like, but so yeah. he goes through where, where it, you know, lyrically it's like, it's a theme and it's mm. a concept album and it actually yeah. pairs with the whiz. And so, like, oh. there, there, there's, there's a communication that happens around what is gray seal, but it's great seal. Come on, mm -hmm. so that's what it's, 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 you know, and it's, it's this idea of like, yeah. you know, that the, to see through eyes, to see through an eye, to, that only sees what's real. It's like he's looking at the dollar bill, and he's like, "You're so. This is supposed to be so wise. Why aren't we seeing the thing?" So it's kind of like that argument that Jewish people have about the Messiah. You know, about Jesus. they're like, our, our prophecy is that a messiah will come and that we'll get the equivalent of the jubilee for good which is the forgiving of all debt it's characterized by the forgiving of all debt and the releasing of all servants all slaves mm -hmm. and so they're, they're like the messiah hasn't come until that happens as far as they're concerned uh -huh. that's that's because that's the what the belief was so like the this idea you're like the proof is in the pudding 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. And then the Christians will say, if you believe it, then it is, you know, then you're so, which is like an anyway. interesting duality. If you don't mind me cutting in there, because it talks yeah. a lot about kind of like the idea of, of what new age would call manifestation and, you know, that mixture of what, what is faith and everything that versus that very human Occam's razor, like prove it. Where's the action? Where's the action side of it? It's right. Really well, it's, it's kind of an equation because you have a yeah. shin in the middle of yud heh vav If you say Yeheshua in Hebrew, if you're to entertain it as such, uh -huh. then you're you're literally like you're looking at the name of God with the shin, which is the letter of judgment in the middle of the name. And so it's like it suggests God's judgment. And it's kind of like seen as kind of an answer to an equation that's presented in the book of Isaiah where the Messiah is mentioned. Actually, Christianity in a nutshell kind of takes uh, from the, the book of Isaiah's prophecy regarding the, the resurrection of the dead, uh, which mm -hmm. has to do with tall, the dew, the resurrection of the dead. It's that mathematical code, uh, which you, 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 it, it works with spelling out yud heh vav -he using olives. So if you pronounce the letters, so you say yud, you'd have yud dalit, and you say hey, you have hey olive, and then mm -hmm. vav, you'd have vav, olive, vav. And when you add that up, uh, the gematria, uh, totals uh, the value of tall, um, which if you then add the final hey with the Aleph, you get the gematria of uh, of Adam. And so the idea is, is that this is how, uh, you know, so this is the dew that awakens the dead in the book mm -hmm. of Isaiah. So they're like, this, what is, what is it? You could relate it to like mana. Mana literally means what is it? It's a question. So whatever they were <laughs> eating, we don't know what it was. It's, you know, so... Uh, wow. it's this, it's this mysterious thing. And so like that, it's crazy, but this then relates to that documentary, uh, not the documentary itself, but what the documentary was about, about that guy who has, uh, dead, uh, resurrect dead on Jupiter. You know about this? The guy who was going Ooh. around, I believe it was New York where he put these like tiles down that were all about 2001, a space odyssey, resurrecting the dead on Jupiter. Like he was referencing the film and this thing and like had this whole like deeper meaning of what he said. It's, Whoa. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy shit. But, uh, but yeah, and it all like, so, hmm, uh, time back, <laughs> like, I don't, I like I all don't... the things I want to communicate. It's like, the, I know, the, right? the, yeah. So the scapegoat thing is all implicit with 9 11 as well. Like, this tendency of ours to want to look for the scapegoat. And there was a lot of opportunism that went around with that, where it's just like, who's to blame? And yeah. so, like, and then you're like, oh, did, and then the way that it was always like twisted, like that it, yeah, okay, it came from the inside. But when you say 9 11 is an inside job, and people would say, like, Bush did 9-11. Yeah, Bush knocked like, down the what, towers. What like, the F are you talking You know, I don't no, know. Like, that guy was clearly a scapegoat. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, of course. We're talking about the scapegoat and everything. Right. And it's, so it's, 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 yeah, do you think there's anything? Do you think I've seen that creepy video of like, you know, the words that the students are repeating over and over again? Sure, which is a little different, I think, than what you usually see it spelled out as. Because I think steel is S-T-A-L. But how is that any less relevant? Also, we're you know talking, I mean, I mean hey, I, the shit that I get into with history, it all comes from oral traditions where pronunciation mm. was king. You know, mm. it's all the phonetic was important anyway. So the spelling was kind right. of out the what, window. What, what I take from that is that that rhythmical, like not just rhythmical, mm. but the, the way that they hit and the way that they're doing that whole thing, it's not just that it's programming, it's that it's indicative of how, uh, basically, how removed our education system is from any kind of like, uh, anything that is truly creative. 
-hmm. So like, it's like all, it's like at the sacrifice of, of everything. It's just that they learn this. And right. it's like, there's no, like, that's just the, it's just the epitome of what's wrong with children, the way that they're taught to learn mm -hmm. to read and to, and to relate to language and all this stuff. It was like militaristic. It Absolutely. was like a militaristic format. And like to have that be what was going on at that moment, it's like, that should just draw attention to that. But I think that there's like cognitive dissonance there beyond it's... it saying kite hit plain steel, whatever. It's like, dude, <sighs> like, look at this. And the story itself of what my pet goat is. Remember, she goat is the gematria of, of right. Oz. And so it's like, and then so, so this is, this, this is crazy, but <laughs> I love it. So, Crazier the so, better. So there's, there's Oz and there's on. On. Okay is it so i believe it's just ion i'd have to check but if you go onto wikipedia and you look up jabalon uh, -huh. uh jabalon is the masonic trinity right so did we discuss this have we discussed this with you no but i've heard of that word before right so the first time i i ever heard this word was from oh man it was from this this guy who used to sell paintings giant paintings for like insides of skyscrapers nice. in new york in new york and la and uh, he married this woman, and the night that they got married, she told him that she's going to take him for everything he had. And he's like, "I thought we were in love." And she's like, "We're I'm not in love with you. I just um this is what I'm doing." And Whoa. so he and so he let her have it all. He let her keep the houses. He let her keep everything. He left in his vehicle. Decided to become homeless. And this is years later that I met him. And his father. I completely believe this guy. I could go on the details. And obviously, if I'm sharing this to you, and then anyone listening, it's like three people removed or whatever yeah, this yeah. guy years ago told me a bunch of stuff and every little part of what he told me came up re repeatedly through my life later so this is long before um that documentary existed called jfk 2 where they basically attach uh george senior to the assassination and all right. this on all this stuff so this guy told me that his father was high up cia and that he uh, on his deathbed he was given a he was given a special piece of property to basically go through hospice at in Big Sur, California, overlooking the ocean. He said he visited his father in this really fancy place that the government let you know let him die in. And he said as his dad was on his deathbed, he said this was when George Bush Sr. was being elected president. He said that man who's just being elected president, he was like, that man helped kill JFK. Not as Holy a gunman, shit. but that he was involved. And that right. his his ability to keep silent about that was one of the things that got him to be the head of the CIA. So he told him that while he was dying. And so oh. this guy told me that and, and also told me about the Masonic Trinity thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and that how the handshake relates, which is all my heart, all my mind, all my strength, the lion's paw handshake, which corresponds to the, obviously the scarecrow and the tin man and the oh, lion man. of the Wizard of Oz and Wizard of Oz gets its name from yeah. the worker's strength that I'm talking about 77 this whole thing and so yeah and then the three fingers also <laughs> it's your pulse when you do that you're relating to the pulse and so Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon uh, if you open up the jacket it you can you can see the way that the rainbow goes all the way around it meets where right. it ends it's a loop and then you open it up and then there's a heartbeat that connects it all in between it's all about the LP jacket man like it's not just it's not just this symbol of the triangle thing, the right, new, you know, right, like it's like, yeah, the prism. It's all about like what is being conveyed because the album itself begins and ends with that heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about the pulse. And so and then the, the, the Masonic aspect of it, that's the, the thing with the Wizard of Oz. He was a theosophist, L. Frank Baum. However you say it, Baum? Baum. Baum. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so so 
anyway, you have this, you have the strength, which is the strength of the Kabbalistic tree itself. And then you have a variation. So the Gematria of On, which is the last part of Jabalon, it's literally Heliopolis, which is the eye, you know? So, wow. so, so basically I, I brought this to the attention of my rabbi and what he told me he said, it's, it's long been, it's long since been speculated that Heliopolis was a site in ancient times of a kind of Jewish or not a Jewish slash Egyptian mysticism synagogue. So that basically it was Jews who were participating with, with Egyptian magic. And so like, even when you're, we're, we're relating to this idea of the golden calf and stuff, it's that they were actually do, performing Egyptian mystical rites. Mm -hmm. And so this is uh this has been speculated about this place that it was kind of like this this kind of incorporating of egyptian mysticism and jewish mysticism and so like my rabbi does not find the idea offensive that much of the zohar is actually encoding egyptian mysticism have you told and him that, about your 911 theory on it oh we've discussed this at length oh, okay <laughs> he, he experienced a lot of cognitive dissonance while we were transcribing this text so because oh, it, wow. it's it goes into an area that the rest of the zohar really doesn't so like it's a it's an exceptional two portions and not only that but the commentary too it's it's quite a kicker and oh, so yeah there's all these there's the three variables that it speaks to about like the prayers of the children uh that basically children are being abused so there's these there's a direction that we appear to go following this event where these strongholds are destroyed and the the dynamics of that repeating like i was saying all this stuff yeah. but it says that like everything looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket but there's three main variables that ex exist in that process one of them is the prayers of the children who are being abused in all kinds of ways that the adults can't see and when it's exposed everyone's shocked and has to re reflect in a way that they you know hadn't previously so they treat that that the prayers of the children get answered that they've okay. been praying and then that that happens it's an exposure thing and wow, it's a humiliation that's powerful. thing yeah totally the other thing is the um the uh, tears of the soldiers so as soldiers who have been asked to do all these things and they're able to rationalize it and rationalize it and go with the program blah, blah blah and it reaches a breaking point where they're brought to tears so and then the way that they describe that feels like it was probably inspirational to Freud, although this kind of language appears elsewhere in the Zohar. I believe that Freud was heavily influenced by the Zohar, but could never say so because of being in Vienna at the time that he was and what was mm -hmm. all happening in, a, in yeah. that society. They couldn't do that, whereas Jung could speak more freely. And that was part of the, you know, part of the real uh, conflict that we can't even be exposed to because they couldn't even discuss it amongst themselves completely. Um, you know, but but anyway, yeah, it's this idea that the, that the external armor that the soldiers wear is is a ex, be redundant but is an externalization of an internal armor that's like character armor that's basically ego and so it's a shell that they have internally and then they put on the guard because they're all guarded and that that reaches that things reach a point where they can't that 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 inner armor gets penetrated so they're like this armor can get penetrated you could die whatever could happen but once that armor gets penetrated on a deep enough level and it's collective then something else takes over with that, that there's a transformation that takes place and we're brought to it by just how far we go. Yeah. And so, and then the, so it's like a bottleneck effect, or I don't know what to call it, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. there's, and then there's like um, the uh, young scholars. So that's the third variable is that the children end up advancing in ways that the adults can't keep up with and can't understand. 
So they wow. they supersede so the new anyway. the new way the yeah. new world order. <laughs> right. But that's the thing is just that, a flip is that of the coin. You got you a know? bunch of freaking dinosaurs. You got you know we need term limits or whatever. And then meanwhile, it's like this is emerging whether and and we can we do not know the way that future generations who experience what they not just now but who the hell knows where we're going we can't predict the way that they will respond to what they went through and when people talk about the hardships that they went through and how they grew and whatever like and you know learning delays and all this stuff we don't know how that's all going to translate and so like what the ultimate end of that will mean and so the point is, is that it's a variable you know and the ability of what where the young scholars will go that the that the adults can't understand or keep up with like that's still un, unknown you know and people are always down on like the next generation and understandably so because you're like look we learn these lessons and there's a there's a generational amnesia in mm-hmm. a sense and mm-hmm. so like and there's no fix for a generational amnesia really uh right. i think the only uh possibility of a fix is through our ability to record that all through time we've never been able to record it's like that paintings or it didn't happen thing <laughs> so it's like yeah. we, we're actually getting getting to a place where we've been getting to a place where we can record you can also manipulate recording so there's another mix in the you know it's like yeah, it's, it's always... all, all this stuff is all happening at once right. but it's like you know we've never even been here before like we don't even know like what that could really mean i find it really funny that a lot of people who are like down with the whatever the cancel culture thing if they really mm-hmm. feel like we need to get rid of, say, Speedy Gonzalez. Right. You're you're not Mexican or you're not Latino, <laughs> Latina, but you want to get rid of Speedy Gonzalez. It's like Speedy Gonzalez. The reason why you know what you know about race and all this stuff is because we've been able to record the past, and you can you can look at songs of the South, and you can have you can approach it from an enlightened perspective because of all the things that we've evolved to know. And so, people that want to get rid of the recordings because they're offensive may fail to realize that the reason why we are as enlightened as we are is because we've had exposure to all these recordings and an ability to reflect upon it and how much we've grown. And so like, why would you want to erase the thing? They're like, okay, now, you know, so that people can't see what it was, you know, it's just so counterintuitive, you know, it's like, and it's like, yeah, what are we hiding here? Right. Are we, we're only and are we hiding, ourselves? you know, are we covering our tracks or are we hiding? A lot of times to me, the elites or whatever you want to call it, the ones in the know are just mostly hiding or guided by what's already happening in the universe. And they're mm. just like onto it. Like the Egyptians, I talked about this on like episode four. I'm on like 80 or something now um, with like the Egyptians building in sacred geometry. It's like, okay, well, they got clued in that the universe is built this way. So go with the flow. So it's like if anything's being hidden, it's just something that there no one's in control of. It's it's just you figure out how to go with it or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it's like, if you can't beat it, join it. Right. I believe, it sounds a little dark. I believe it was Manly P. Hall who said that had, if these pyramids were not still standing, no one, most people wouldn't believe it that right. they ever, that they ever him, stood, yeah. but they're there. <laughs> and so we got to deal with that because right. they're there. And so they, they're also in relationship to the stars and all this stuff, but then they're also in relationship to the stars of the future 
coordination mm. like that kind of stuff with the sphinx that's one of graham that's hancock's big nuts. deals yeah. yeah yeah so they were like able to see what would happen with leo in the future because they could anticipate like all this kind of stuff it just gets really bizarre um but it also like it shows yeah, people talking about, oh thing. you didn't have these like um these distractions you know and it's like people were look at the stars or whatever i'll tell you what i don't know the elevation or whatever in egypt or whatever but i was in the himalayas at one point and there was a clear night where i was like i was i was at a you know one of the lesser mountaintops but the mountaintops are insane you know yeah, so, yeah. but i was at a mountaintop above a above a motel in the middle of freaking nowhere on the top of a mountain and i could look in all directions and it was like you could see the milky way like completely and there was shooting stars in different directions every few seconds yeah it's dude. like that all the time and i was like oh my it's god alive. like i thought i knew what the night sky was and i like had to completely reevaluate you know, and then I think about it, I'm like, wow, people coming up, up here for meditation, all this stuff. This is mm. what people have been experiencing forever. It's like to, to experience, to be in space and, and see the different, like what you're in the midst of. Like, it's like a whole other thing. You know? <laughs> Fellow yeah. mountaineer. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I have experienced vertigo for the first and only time under a sky like that on the top of a mountain before man and it was at the time it was the tallest mountain i had ever climbed and it was yeah i, I had absolute vertigo and had to go lay down in my tent because yeah. of how struck star struck i yeah. was there was a road i didn't actually climb the mountain per se i did climb a few a few ridges within the mountain once i got up there Fair but enough. like but like the Himalayas uh, but it, that, was, that was it's talking <laughs> you're talking the himalayas so that road was freaking like there would be long portions where there's no railing and i would see cars and trees along the side and you Dude, look off the side like the you bodies. can't see the edge of the road <laughs> and you have to honk every time you go around a corner because there's like trucks and vehicles coming the other way but there's like no line they just honk to let each other know and they're like God. that uh, yeah you have to trees yeah. like so cars and trees it's like the bodies on everest you're just like walk, driving past it like that could be yeah. me yeah <laughs> no one's going out to get those people there's no emergency crews they're just gone yeah plus in the himalayas you're starting like when you're driving on the roads you're starting at like seven eight nine thousand feet above sea level anyway so it's, oh my god it's yeah, pretty yeah. intense man yeah but it, cool. but but anyway man like you know when it comes to these ancient ancient structures yeah they're just mm. you know um um, the the cognitive dissonance is inevitable. Also, the thing that when you're dealing with a lot of the numbers of the ratio of the of the Great Pyramid of Giza and all this kind yeah, of stuff, it's like how it expresses the northern hemisphere of the yeah, earth. Yeah, I can't like I can't rec recommend Scott Onstott's work enough in that capacity. And so, like, he'll, I'm gonna he'll have to look that up because I've only seen it was a great documentary, but it was kind of dated. It was about Egypt. It was like magical Egypt or something mm. like that. No, yeah, this is it's secrets and the revelations sight. of the pyramids. That's what I saw. But go yeah, ahead. He sorry. he he gave a speech at um the uh, Olympia Sync Summit a few years ago. Mm -hmm. and uh you know he doesn't have legs and he's he doesn't have a right arm mm -hmm. and uh you know he has like metal there and like i went for a long walk with him with he has he walked with me but he's got you know no legs and he's produced these great videos secrets in plain sight and he's just he's he i i touched his feet like he was like a guru and then Al, <laughs> alan green was like you know he has no feet right and i was like yeah i know uh but <laughs> he's just brilliant and the thing is is like he'll say like you know, I'll tell you this bit of information here and, you know, your right brain gets it. It's like, well, of course. And your left brain will be like, but, but, but all of these things. And he's like, the thing is the thing. Like it speaks yeah. for itself. And so like, that's, and that's just the way it is. 
And like, I, I, I like that approach. And he doesn't tell you, oh, it's aliens. Oh, it's right. the, just the Masons or it's this or that. No grand like, claim. Where does, yeah, where does the, the contrived side of it end and where does the other begin? And so that's been, and I really resonate with him in that way because that's my whole obsession uh, in part with just the album film pairing thing is it's like, yeah. like at which point is this just happening on its own or at which right. point is this got like, influence you know like robert and zemeckis even, how how much of this was robert's decisions to like you know what i mean and how much of it absolutely. was just total co like quote unquote coincidence i think that word gets a bad rap you know? yeah oh co <laughs> coincidence yeah, yeah and coincidence, so and, and carl jung would specify that a synchronicity is simply a coincidence with meaning yeah. and me and meaning is subjective and so that's always the difficulty when it comes to synchronicity. It's like you're like, you know, just like irony, like you can't prove irony. Like you could say the most obviously ironic thing ever. <laughs> and like, but you can't, it doesn't necessitate that somebody's going to get it. And you're like, how do you prove it? Right. It's like an equivalency. Somebody will put out an equivalency with something. Somebody sees that they're equivalent. Somebody else goes, that's a false equivalency. It's all, it's all subjective. And mm. so synchronicity works the same way. Like, I'll tell you, Stanley Kubrick died 666 days after the first chess champion was beat by a computer and that all this stuff. It doesn't doesn't prove there's no way to prove that that yeah. is that way because George whatever. Bush didn't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. There are tuned, some people are tuned into something. That's for sure. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I'm a I'm a I look for patterns, you know, and I yeah. and I want and I want to be able to document patterns like it's like the proof. So like my thing with the album film pairing stuff is it's like, you know, there's that story of El Dorado where it's like mm -hmm. they go to bring back the gold, but it's like turned to dirt when they come to the right. other side. It's like when you have a dream and you're holding on to an object and you like wake up and then you're like, oh, where'd the object go? Right. You know, it's like, I like those album film pairings because it's like, I'll find, I'll find a synchronicity and I can document it. I can show it. I can share it. People can, people can watch it and assess mm -hmm. it. And it's just, it's very, um, uh, you know, it's very user friendly, so to speak. Yeah. So it's, and it is know. the thing. The thing is the thing right there. It's that right brain approach almost. Which yeah, again, it's exactly. interesting about the left trying to always take over the right when the thing is the damn thing. It always is. Right. So this exactly. So this was encoded into um, Darren Aronofsky's um, film Pi, which was oh. his directorial and written debut. Right. And, uh, you know, Pi deals with a 216 digit letter uh that they that they have found in the torah that is all like a extremely subversive like joke that's not com it's it's not a normal joke really? so like so so basically that's the gematria of gavora of the the left of the lower worlds the the top of the pillar of the lower worlds on the left so when people talk like left hand path or whatever there's mm -hmm. like kind of like a wicca version of that literally what that means is that it's it's essentially the status quo so like your your orientation gravitation towards the left deals with our inclination uh as like you know of influence from the clipo so like which is really they they exist for a time they have a function for a time in this interval of development mm -hmm. uh ultimately they're to be purged and so they're related <laughs> with the reptilian and so like i like i don't know but like what the deal is completely with david ike's trip you know like i've read several right. of his books or whatever over the years and they're really entertaining like especially <laughs> yeah. the children of the matrix thing you know but like yeah, I it all ties in it's all close to something yeah so like i get the sense considering the context of his first two books which are almost impossible to find 
Uh, his first two published works are all about Lucid's Trust. So they're just basically Lucid's Trust cosmology and mm. him his understanding of that. And so I'm like, is he a member of Lucid's Trust at the UN? I don't know about all yeah. that. Uh, I know that Zachariah Sitchin has a has a uh, an office at the UN, uh, and or did, did or, or, or did I don't know where he's at now. I'm talking old stuff. Yeah. Zachariah oh. Sitchin, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was old. To give it, yeah, but when he was alive, he did have an office at the UN. Mm-hmm. And so, did he have a connection to the Lucid's Trust? Probably. Um, and did and he was did selling he, us aliens? Well, I think he was actually doing the same thing that I think that um, Robert Agger did. Which is that they basically they're they're like pro disinformationists. Um, so when they when yeah. some, when they don't want something out, okay, like Hollywood, mm-hmm. certain things going on in Hollywood and the scene, the the Anton LaVey Satanic Church and different things that they're up to, you know, I think that Ro- that excuse me, did I say Robin? What I got? Eggers? Kenneth Anger. Oh, I say Kenneth Anger. Did I say no, Rob Agger? Am I fucking yeah, up? Yeah, you okay. said Rob Agger. <laughs> Sorry, apologies to Rob Agger. I like Rob Agger. No, <laughs> no offense to him, but but uh, and Kenneth I actually Anger. like Kenneth Anger's films in a way too. You know, they're what they are. But like, mm-hmm. you know, he's OTO or whatever. You know, but like uh, Hollywood Babylon, as far as I could tell, is like a is like a full on like in- disinformation campaign that likely included uh, things that were true. And included those things along with outlandish rumors so that if any of those things got referenced, you could write them off as right. a, as a Kenneth Anger rumor. And Absolutely. so I, I feel like parts of Zachariah Sitchin's The Twelfth Planet worked in a similar way where it's taking things that in all it's... likelihood the Catholic Church didn't want to have come out. Mm-hmm. Not just there's other interests as well, uh, but that I, I feel like in all likelihood Zachariah Sitchin was kind of like working for the church to present those with a lot of material that can be easily debunked yeah, and so that they get thrown out with the bathwater. Are you suggesting like in the sense that it's like the ancient alien path specifically, like take it away from the fact that there's much older cultures going on here. I'm saying that I I actually feel that there's some mysterious aspects to, um, to the ancient Sumerian text. And so, and so, uh, and that that's probably been known uh, by the church for a long time right and that it's not as simple as like oh the epic of gilgamesh has these parallels therefore it's stolen it's it's actually it 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 substantiates uh the bible in many ways and so yeah. like my rabbis of that mindset when it comes to the sumerian text as well the mesopotamian tablets uh he's really into those but it's he also a much bigger you know, broader story than we are aware of it's never understood what the concern is from jewish people or the attitude towards the like the treatment of the Mesopotamian tablets because those tablets really give a lot of like um they kind of back up what the the old testament was pointing to if you're relating to this as kind of like a mythological communication around things that happened so it's right. like how do you tell your children and your children's cho- children it's also like the torah is all musical so like you know each that's every part of it is meant to be sung so it's like this <laughs> epic song that's also as mathematical as it is language it's not that letters are correspondence to numbers they are the, the letters are numbers and that this mm-hmm. is literally like some artistic communication that's like from like uh like a very like a a very direct insight that over time became degraded and so this uh-huh. is where people might debate because like Carl Sagan would be like, all we've done is move forward. 
you know, like when his treatment of astrology or whatever, and he's like, we had astrology. Now we have astronomy and look at how well we've done and all this kind of stuff. And my feeling is like ancient people's minds, like what their consciousness was, what their perceptual experiential deal was. We have no true point of reference to understand that. And one of the worst things that we do, in my opinion, for organized religion is that we project onto ancient people our own ideas of today as though this applies in almost any way to them or even what this text is for every word you have 20 30 40 meanings like like it's meant to be that way for a reason it's not like oh we need to find just the right trans translation and then now we have it we like we figured it out it's actually all of these different words are included in the meaning because to understand those things is like such a deep meditation especially for us now not our minds not working the way that that we we they used to and we we have no basis for comparison mm-hmm. like of anything beyond our our perceptual paradigm and the fact is is like there's so much influences on our perception like when we perceive things like there's there's all kinds of things that twist and skew and mm-hmm. do all this stuff and it's like <laughs> we're not we're we're subject to fallibility in that way but we yeah. also have a potential for direct insight that i believe is very underestimated and yes. like because we kind of have this kind of like jaded attitude of like that just things are the way they are it's like i once told off kind of told off but a man at the British War Museum who had survived Dunkirk, where oh, he was, where he was telling all these people, you know, it's this group of people that standing by one of the survivor boats, you know, like you'd see in the film or whatever that's set up in there, and he's explaining how there'll never come a time in human history where we don't have war. He was like, "That is our nature," and I and I told this old man, it's Dunkirk survivor, I told him, "You don't know that." <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know that. I was like, what the future is for humanity, I really don't know. And I don't want to pretend to know. And I was like, I was like, I much respect to you and like what you experience. Like, I can't even conceive of like, I, you know, I'm talking qualifying myself, you know, like yeah, in that yeah. way. Like, hey, I'm not saying this or this or this. So don't take it there. But what I am saying is like the future of humanity is ultimately unknown. And so, like, you can call me a dreamer or a naive or, you know, a blind optimist or whatever. But, like, I really don't know. And I'm also not projecting that there will come that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, it could be. A, a, yeah, open, no, you know? no grand position. Right. I, I I think not dying on any ultimate hills is the is always the way to go, you know. And, and that's like. I, I've always been fascinated by the UFO community and everything and, and what goes on there and the mystery of the phenomenon. But anytime people come and say what it is, it, again, it, it it's very way too much, way too human. It's way too reminiscent of a reflection of our own behaviors here on earth, you know, but it's always, it collapses the wave function, right? They, they need, right. uh, it's like a need to have an answer and right. uh, it reminds me and and you fellow psychonaut you know under psychedelics it's like you come back from that illogical uh ineffable experience and you have to use that right side that logical ego to figure out how the hell to even describe what just happened to you so it's like when prophets come back in any form it's like well 
you're, you know, everyone's got a little bit of it, it seems, but no one's ever, anyone that's saying they have the answer, they've collapsed the wave function is right. usually. It's yeah. yeah. It's that, it's that, 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 uh, fundamentalist atheist, you know, where you're right. like, you're like, dude, like you are really attached to there not being a God, like yeah. you're ready to fight about it. It's like, define your terms, man. What do, let's, where do you believe in energy? Like, what do you, what do you believe in? You know, right, like, right. like, well, it's, yeah, it's like that type that reductionist, like, you know, Professor Dave explains kind of guy like, yeah, if you don't agree with flat earth, it's easy to like get on board his like hate train on that. But at the same time, the dude is close minded to everything and mm -hmm. is it, it's a real shame to see such a popular outlet be so reductionist in this day and age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So hopefully we see more of the things that we're talking about. This synchronicity stuff is gaining ground it seems in this community oh, so that's pretty cool. I, don't, I don't i actually don't know much of what's going on with uh online communities like i i used to be more in touch with you know well you like, get burnt out after a while it's too much well i got removed from facebook <laughs> that's crap, true so yeah it's like, you're off like, you know yeah 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 and that's you know it's it's great the first thing i ever thought of when i heard the words facebook was the necronomicon from evil dead <laughs> I was like That's a awesome. book with a face on it or the Care Bears movie, which is a mix between the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Faust. So, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to have you back just to like talk movies again, man, because I'm actually doing a secret show coming up, like a new series with some guys. And it's all going to be about interesting things found in our favorite movies. So I think it would be great to have you on for that too sometime. That would be really fun because this has been a hell of an episode. This has been really enlightening in so many ways. And every time I'm with you guys on sync tech, man, you blow my mind with every reference that comes up. So I really appreciate the work that you've put into everything you do, man. It's really awesome. And I'm glad that I get to, you know, hang out and, and shoot the shit with you guys. I'm sure this has a time limit here and we're probably approaching the end of it. It's kind of where you're, you're it might, you're, I don't know. But, I mean, but, uh, I pay I for this damn thing. It better not. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So, um, just, really quickly just to kind of jump back to some sure, things. I, sure, I'm like, let's go. I'm like, I'm going through my head. I'm like, what are the things like you said you wanted to discuss the nine 11 stuff. <laughs> and it's like, okay, here's I know there's some weird, so much of it. Here's, here's some weird, weird factoids for you. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, one of them is that uh, the year in which nine one one became the code to call for an emergency uh, in the United States was um, 1968. Uh, night, night before then you dial zero and then ask to go from there to whatever emergency, you know, you need to call the operator. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, that was instituted in 1968, which I thought was earlier, but no. And the, the reason why they say that they did it nine one one is because they're the furthest numbers on the, on the dial. So you wouldn't accidentally dial it. Uh, okay. You'd be less likely to accidentally It's like a dial convenient it. right side of the brain you know connection. right that's that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, the rationalization <laughs> right so that, that's what they say and then um uh construction for the first tower of the two towers also started in 1968 uh you know 2001 space odyssey and rosemary's baby were both released in 1968 1968 is a very resonant year with that timeline of the not just the two towers but everything the two towers represented that until two, 2001 mm -hmm. and so that's the significance you have 2001 a space odyssey released in 1968 coinciding with the with the construction of the towers which is also the year of instituting 911 as the emergency wow. call number 
and so shit. yeah so you can see like what's written on rosemary and rosemary's baby during the impregnation ritual scene actually contains the year you know and people are like oh what's it just threw in the year like it's just this meaningless thing no it's a significant thing and so yeah there's also there's a there's a there's a strange connection between 2001 a space odyssey rosemary's baby and the beatles white album oh that's really that's, uh... that's extremely extensive and so like <laughs> if you want to like get into the the um the roman polanski stuff too like it's always like sometimes a, a tricky subject to tread uh because if, if oftentimes if you discuss any of the uh realities surrounding uh polanski and his life uh it's often taken as this excusatory thing uh for his behavior mm. um with samantha geimer uh in um what was it 1977 so uh, I didn't know until that conversation with Alex Fulton that that incident with Samantha Geimer took place uh, March 10th, 1977, which it ties into the whole uh, Hal Craig uh, just uh, mindfuck. I don't know if I did. I just discuss that. I've discussed that with Andreas many times. Yeah, I don't think I've heard it, but, uh, but feel free if you're in if you if you're up for it. OK, I'll go, so, I'll go a while longer. Let's go, man. Oh, OK. <laughs> So this is one of my one of my favorite personal spiels of okay. of connections. So basically, you know, for a long time I didn't know what to think of this Hal Craig guy. I thought that he might be Stanley Kubrick. So like okay, like as a, yeah. as an, as an alias. And so the first thing that struck me uh, in my process was that uh, something uncanny happens when you play the ABBA album Waterloo with Waterloo, the film that came out shortly before. Mm-hmm. And so that's a Dino De Laurentiis movie. And uh, the reason why I, I went to the Kubrick archives and I dug, I looked at every single box that relates to his Josephine and Napoleon film. And uh, I wanted to find evidence that that MGM actually turned him down because I don't think they did. That's my my speculation is I don't think that that ever happened quite that way. I think he dropped the project and basically contributed to uh, this film Waterloo. Uh, just in the writing of it alone, not the, mm. the filming of it per se, but just because people was, would pass around scripts. If you ever watch that film Trumbo, you mm. can see how that kind of happened. So Trumbo was a communist who was blacklisted, who produced a ton of movies. He wrote a ton of movies uh, and uh, he actually won two Oscars under aliases uh, wow. during the course of years. And he, uh, the first movie to ever include his actual name uh after years and years and years of being blacklisted with stanley kubrick spartacus so spartacus was the first director brazen enough to actually give credit to the person who was really who had written the movie and so that kind of broke the mold for people who were blacklisted too which is kind of like an activist type type act mm-hmm. um and so the thing was is that was kind of blowing my mind because this this guy hal craig wrote waterloo and i was like capital h dot capital a dot capital l dot craig so you look up Hal as in I mean, you get Hal 9000 right. you get a Hal craig and i'm like what is the deal here and i'm like it has this direct connection because he because production for waterloo started shortly after kubrick dropped his project for his napoleon film mm. so you're like and i actually found a letter um from uh audrey hepburn i believe uh who he wanted to play josephine speaking to have you heard of the the um rod rod steiger version of uh the napoleon story and he didn't respond back and there's this kind of stuff and so i was like i was like oh this is so weird 
And then, so I was like, I, I was like, did he write this? Is this guy, the, the descriptions around who Cal Craig were, were really weird. I went on uh, Gramerica uh, years ago and I, I talked about this and right after the show, within a week, all of his Wikipedia, Hal Craig's Wikipedia was gone, except in German. So like I was re referencing his page a ton and going to the Wikipedia site for Hal Craig a ton, and it was all gone. And not only that, but every movie that he contributed to, they removed the sentence sentences oh, just relating to him in all of those Wikipedia pages. So I could see that it was beyond just the page. Like this is, they went through systematically removed, like erased this guy, but not completely. So he, there's still an IMDb. You can still find his page in German for the wikipedia german painting mm. translate it so you still have it but it's like you have to go through a you little rigmarole to get there yeah 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 and he had a twin brother named dick which kind of reminds me of mad men or something it's like <laughs> and he wrote he wrote speeches for the queen and all this all this weird stuff or something address for the queen something but wow. really really wacky stuff and he wrote a book on islam uh that he wrote he so he made a film called muhammad messenger of god which he changed the name to the message and so the release date for that was March uh, 9th, 1977. And uh, over the release of that, on the release date of it, there was a siege in Washington uh, where a uh, Islamic terrorist took hostages in Washington for exactly three days and uh, and it, over the release of this Hal Craig film. And so I found this out after my Waterloo trip because I was like, <laughs> oh, so this guy has some controversies surrounding him. And uh, it's about the birth of Islam, but Muhammad is not in the film. So it's like everything around Muhammad and the religion without Muhammad mm. there. And so, uh, but it was almost like advertised as though Muhammad was in it. It was almost like it was kind of provoking. It's like, you know, you're not supposed to do that, but you're doing it anyway. Like, what is going on with this? And so the event itself is not just started because of this Hal Craig film, but it's bookended by two Hal Craig films. So Hal Craig also was one of the writers for Airport 77. Airport 77 is about a plane hijacking by terrorists. Uh, so it's a Islam, plane hijacking, terrorists, the 9th and the 11th of March in 77. Holy and so shit. and so I was following this thread and I was like, wow, these two Hal Craig, what the, what the hell? That's crazy. That's the length of the siege and all this stuff. And I was like, that's blowing my mind, the 9th and the 11th. And then I was like, did anything of significance happen on the 10th? And what I found when I looked up the, the oh, shit. Oh, Rose, my friend Rose is calling me. I can't talk. <laughs> I'm here. Um, and so... um. I was like, did anything of significance happen on the 10th? And what I found was on the 10th of March, 1977, the biggest concert to be called off over a bomb threat took took place um, uh, at an ABBA concert in Australia. And so Whoa. I was like, and so I was already tripping out with ABBA with Hal Craig because of Waterloo and Waterloo. And oh, I was like, that's shit. really strange. And the whole thing, like, it's not just that. It's like that Waterloo and Waterloo, like, communicates this whole Kubrickian thing because there's like, the song in there, uh, What About Livingston, relates to discovering the Nile and equates it with us colonizing the moon. And people saying, oh, laughing at going to the moon and saying, why are we going up there? And then ABBA is like, what about Livingston? Like, And it's this whole colonization thing. It's like, what the hell? Oh, and so, shit. yeah, so I actually take Waterloo as a concept album that is a, the concept is relating to Kubrick's trip around Napoleon. So like, it's like this, wow. this, this whole, this whole crazy deal. And so so this event so then i find out from alex fulton just recently that march 10th is the day that the incident happened with polanski in oh, the water with, with samantha geimer so like i didn't put that together that's like two really significant things i was like is there anything significant about this 10th of march 1977 and what i got is a bomb threat with abba and the roman polanski thing and i'm like Whoa. that is so, that is so freaking weird and so you know because i i equate you know 
Polanski's trip with with Rosemary's Baby is like the corollary to 2001. Like he's relating to the Klepo and it's the two pathways of the Kabbalistic tree, uh, the two sets of pathways. So you have the pathways of the of the empire. That's the 216 Gavora thing. That's what Rosemary's Baby is about. And then you have the actual emanated flow itself with the 777 lightning flash is 2001 Space Odyssey. And they're both dealing with the childbirth and the birth that they're speaking to, I believe, is like relating to the the it's, it's crazy but it's the ai thing it's that we're building we're attempting to build our successor we're going to manufacture our successor i see this as playing into the vaccine mandate issue all, mm -hmm. all all of that is this idea of like our relationship to nature what's happening is that technocrats and people who are just technologically focused all those folks in silicon valley and elsewhere that oh, yeah. know certain things that are true for technology and they're projecting those things onto biology as if they were the same Yep, and and I see that same principle communicated in the Zohar in, in as it relates to the two orders of the Sephiroth. So I see that sounds like one, a bad idea, <laughs> right? It's that it's that crossing the streams. You know, Egon yeah, told us never to cross the streams, Total and it's like these are yeah. So in and but that crux of that issue is like that's like the pressure point oh, of yeah. like what we're the real struggle that we're dealing with in terms of the duality we project and what we get back due to that projection. And dude, you know, I've mentioned this before on, on my show. Maybe you could shed some more extra light on this little tidbit that it always seemed to me like the movie I, Robot mm. uh, mirrored the story of Adapa and like the first human created by uh, Enki mm. and in the Sumerian text. And when you think about what happened after that, was you know Enki was banished to the underworld and all like everything falls apart right. at that. Well, point. that's Philip K. Dick, right? And, uh, yeah, I Robot, yes, it was. Yeah. So you know what? Shit, so the exogenesis or whatever, exogesis or whatever, his his book that would probably be really insightful in that capacity. That's uh, true. He goes into into a lot of areas. Does he go into the Babylonian stuff? I don't. I don't. I, that book is really a lot to get into. I don't. I don't. I don't know all the yeah. details. <laughs> I used to speak to his ex-wife a lot, Tessa Dick. Oh and, wow, that's uh, cool. Yeah, we we discussed Tisha B'Av together actually at one point in Messenger. She's wow. inter interestingly, I mean, he has a few ex-wives, but she she's written books and she's you know pretty pretty knowledgeable on her uh, her ex-husband's views on all the philosophical matters and stuff. So she's fun to talk to about that. But uh, I guess what I want to point out, too, if I'm on this subject, I have to cover the different bases. Yes. So one of the other things with Hal Craig is that if you I don't know, I, th I can't remember if we were able to find it before um, with Andreas. But uh, I have I have screenshots of this. Mm -hmm. The New York Times article, the New York Times obituary on Hal Craig states plainly that he wrote Barry Lyndon. And I've been nowhere in IMDb or in the credits of the film or anywhere else. Do you see that stated? Huh. Uh, it's attributed to Kubrick in the adaptation is contributed uh -huh. to Kubrick. Uh, I believe that in all likelihood, what happened there is that they shared the script. And if they shared that script, it stands to reason they shared Waterloo. And if you watch the Trumbo film, you can see uh, the way that people pass past and pass around scripts and then not always are their names attributed to it they'll mm -hmm. just give it to one person and mm -hmm. so like and people were passing around scripts and kubrick was notorious for writing lengthy scripts so many scripts have you ever watched the uh kubrick documentary uh kubrick's boxes no, uh I'll that was the, john, john ronson's documentary so he basically so john ronson you know he was the guy who uh 
Alex asked every question about Bohemian Grove too. He's the guy who helped him infiltrate Bohemian Grove. Right. He was the one in the know. Like Alex Jones was asking him the questions and he had the answers. If you watch either of their documentaries, they both produce do their own documentaries about the infiltration of Bohemian Grove. Ooh, and, I've never seen Ron's. Yeah, I've never. Yeah, and you can watch them from different angles. You can, you can, if you look at both of them, you can go back. It's actually later in. Sorry, Cassandra. Towards, I think it's like three quarters of the way through Sweet. or something. <laughs> I go back and forth between both their documentaries and show the different angles and stuff. Nice. And uh, but yeah, so he was so uh, John Ronson was the only person in the world with complete access to all of Stanley Kubrick's archives at a certain point. I think when the film was being put together, which is probably two thousand seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Um, and so that gets really interesting in regards to Bohemian Grove and um, the uh, cremation of care ceremony and how that relates to the golden bow ritual. And it's basically just like kind of a reversal version of it, which mm. relates to the to the the scapegoatism that we see today versus the scapegoatism of old because scapegoat scapegoatism of ancient world anthropologically had to do with you know we would we would have somebody challenge the king he kills the king he marries the king's daughter renews the kingdom the last become first so to speak and mm -hmm. so it's basically like imposing a jubilee because you know there's all these qualifications that that outsider has to meet this is where we get the the green man symbolism you know the 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 archetypal fool that we mm -hmm. see as the arcana in the tarot deck and so this is this this was a means to kind of trim back the tree uh, with royalty and to basically to get to not have uh, too much inbreeding because they they wanted to renew the 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 royal tree the royal line and so they had mm. to have a complete outsider it's actually what alf is about so like the show alf so, so so alf spelled spells out the hebrew letter aleph aleph corresponds to the fool alf is the archetypal fool and the joke is is that now that we've kind of charted the whole globe where is this outsider going to come from but outer oh, space but shit. the but the joke Hybrids. is is that although this event should turn all of civilization on its head instead they have to hide him in the garage and make sure the government doesn't find him even though he should so it's like there it's this kind of satirical statement like even if this were to happen now if we had the ritual and everything was lined up that we it still wouldn't be able to take place which mm. is what we're actually seeing. And that's what Bohemian Grove is. It's a celebration of the killing of the outsider who would challenge the king as though that were the ritual rather than allowing this outsider to do this because it would took the humility of the king to take part in this. So, so basically the, so it's like a pronouncement of lineage and yeah. It's a okay. celebration of power. It's a mm. celebration of like, well, it's the most arrogant thing I've ever seen in my life. I was right. saying that recently. This summer, I summer. think I mentioned it to you this summer, you know, it, it sets us free. Mid summer sets us free. Yeah. Right. Cause they're yeah. like, we got another year in power. Look at, we're doing the thing. And that's freaking MLK. That's John Lennon. That's anybody that emerged from the public in a sense, you know, and then was like a, 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 a genuine variable. And then, they, and then they freaking get murdered. And right. so that happens all over the place. And it's just this repeat of that because they're trying to keep this thing from taking place. But that thing involves the renewal of the kingdom and the, the insurance of the longevity, long longevity of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And there's an anthropological understanding that the health of the king is reflective of the health of the kingdom. And so when you look at Trump and you look at Biden, like it's like <laughs> these people, it's like they're, they're the oldest presidents we've ever had. And they just keep seem to be getting older. And it's like, what's the plan now? It's just like it really is doing that anthropological like communication, like really like to the to, to the T because it's yeah. like we're well, having yeah, just like in conspiracy language, it would be that 
they're making it super obvious now. And it's like, yeah, in a way, yeah, that's like clearly going on. Like everything is more blatant. It seems like we're moving away from an esoteric age. Right. And the esoteric is becoming exoteric. And yeah. I don't remember what it was, but there was something to do with either Rosicrucianism or I don't know where the source came from. I can't remember, but it's it was something along the lines of like every 108 years, the book is open. Mm. And then it's closed again. I can't remember what what faith or or group or was it really 108 years? I I swear to God, it was 108. There's 108 stitches in a baseball. There's a hundred eight beads on a rosary. There's 108 beads on a mala, which is interesting itself. Yeah, there's 108 emotions in uh, Buddhism that are to be integrated in order to reach the level of Buddhahood. I think we there's there's 108 uh, (laughs) elements on the periodic table. I know that there's some that have been added or whatever, but that's the traditional periodic table right um yeah that kind of yeah totally yeah so that yeah that's just interesting Uh, i don't know it throws it in the mix that it's like this thing that some are aware of it's like a natural process too so maybe this renewal of the the kingdom the king uh is in line with a greater fractal or something of what we go through you know you think of like randall carlson and everything they talk about when it comes to like the torrid meteor stream patterns throughout history and interesting how this renewal might take place on a natural level and perhaps we emulate nature once again in this form right well the the dam is subject to break uh, the levees to break at a certain Mm. point and the consolation of power the the you know this taking all like you know you know where new york gets its name is the big apple you know, mm. so it's like the, I guess the oldest account that they have is from like some newspaper column from way back when, when it was described that New York was sucking the sap from the rest of the country to produce this big apple. Oh, so it's okay. it's re- it's referring to money and it's referring to power. Mm. And so there there's this kind of idea that like something reaches a certain point and it's like that apple's going to drop, you know, and right. that's there that's that's hap- happens according to like the structure of this kind of this this kind of manifold matrix thing that really is just an extension of ego like mm-hmm. the way that our own consciousness works where we're we actually like at work as a witness above like all of these goings on and that at right. the base of it all is like your subconscious like that is expressed externally in society with like the power structure itself so the pyramid yeah, right. that we see in society is actually an externalization of this pyramid we have within ourselves and this has everything to do with our treatment of the of what the left brain even is like, and we don't do this, like, necess- usually very consciously. This is just our gravitation. And, like, so one place where I would definitely distinguish myself from Freud and identify more with Jung is that, you know, Freud was such a pessimist that he really felt like underneath all these layers of neuroses was just more neuroses. Yeah. Whereas, like, whereas, like, Jung was, like, underneath, like, our natural state is actually ecstatic would be what's implied. Obviously, right. Wilhelm Reich would express that to another level. But, you know, there's basically this this distinction between one's relationship to what is the purpose and function of psychoanalysis. So, like, you know, I think Freud was just like that because he was a he was a pessimist. You know, mm-hmm. he's just that was his orientation. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that that Jung and Reich were more like transcendent, like they recognize like the issues around duality and stuff. And so, you know, yeah. it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I. I <laughs> It's funny because it's yeah that 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 principle of us seeing reflected in the outside world these mm. these like dysfunctions that aren't quite reconciled internally 
and right. that they seem to like increase dependent upon you know whether or not we're able to reconcile them and right. so like that's where i like i i differ from like i would consider myself some i was raised a jew for jesus like i i really <laughs> resonate with the gospel in particular you know yeah. i could take or leave parts of the new testament of that collection of books mm-hmm. but uh you know i really like the basic ideas around christianity if we actually live with that as a country, like we'd be doing great. Oh, absolutely. But we don't, yeah, we don't do definitely. that. We got mega churches and everything's so contradictory. They're, they're preaching on the street corners. Like that's not right. how it works. You know yeah, what I mean? That's all. not the message. And so like, yeah, love your neighbor and all these basic things, you know, it's mm-hmm. like people will, will give lip service to that. That's one of my big issues, you know, with the, um, with kind of the, the blind spots of the left is that, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you have these ideals in place and what you get is a lot of symbolism and more and more symbolism and Mm -hmm. like, like symbols being addressed more than the issues themselves. And so like, you're going to do the Aunt Jemima, whatever, you know, it's like, there's like every, you'll do every symbolic gesture before you actually change the issue. Sounds like ego. (laughs) Right. And it's, it is itself like kind of a form of scapegoat goatism or gaslighting. It's like you're doing this thing and it's like, we see what it is. And so that's just, you know, it's that, that corporatism that masquerades as like Mm. what the left, what once upon a time was supposed to mean at least, you know? Right. I mean, I'm 37 years old. And like when I was younger, I mean, of course the towers fell and all that. And, but I remember, I I've said this before that I remember when Fox news and that side of the scale was the power structure fighting against all of us anarchists and rebels who hated Fox news and CNN mm-hmm. and, and Comedy central. At least they're telling the truth over here. And my have, you know, it's the pendulum just swings back and forth. And it it's, does, it's, does, it's, yeah. it's nuts, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. This is, this is epic. This was a great conversation, man. Cool, man. Yeah. You got <laughs> and, it. And it could definitely go into a lot of different areas. We could keep going on and on and maybe we will, we'll do it again or something, but this sure. was awesome, man. I'll be seeing you tomorrow night. If you're going to be on sync tank again. Oh, that's right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, if you could just share, do the customary kind of sharing of the uh, website. I don't know if oh. you're able to put up the screen there. If you want to go to the syncbook.com. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I have um, just for the listeners. I know you know, but uh, I have <laughs> uh, I have over two hundred films for streaming and download uh, on uh, thesyncbook.com. Uh, if you if you go to, um, it should have a. If you scroll down, you'll see an image of Dorothy with the oh, beam and, and prism through her head. You see that thing? Hang on a second. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> something. The internet didn't want to take me there, even though I mm. I put it in exactly correct. Mm. All right, you seeing what I'm seeing now? Am I uh, on your website? Am I uh, even shared? I'm no, not, I, haven't, I'm not I have not shared anything yet. <laughs> All right, so we're at yeah. Po- so so you could either go two ways. You could either go to video, click on videos, or you can scroll down either way. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, tons of stuff on this to be taken yeah. in anyway. So if you see that sync flicks there with Dorothy, yeah, that that'll take you to about 200 films for streaming and download. Uh, album film pairing experiments uh that i've been doing over the course of years since i was into this one for a while earlier today office space yeah (laughs) the matrix nice yeah it's a a good cross analysis between Mm. office space done in a similar way sorry cassandra where everything kind of speaks for itself but uh yeah anyway that's that's this is my website that's this is my thing 
and um, yeah, there's so much going on here. There's so much. This are you still doing the podcast or is what's going I've been on? I've been doing uh, Andreas's podcast recently, but you know, traditionally this is the podcast that I co-hosted with um, Alan Abadessa Green and uh, uh, Bill Klaus. Always um, record. Always record, and there's kind of like a bizarro always record that's people that just do other episodes after you know we didn't do it as much obviously so <laughs> nice that's cool. uh, but yeah i can here we could always return to always record too it'll be interesting to see what happens there but i really yeah. appreciate andreas kind of like uh you know having me jump on the team here because with the sync tank thing because it does have the spirit of always record which is like this kind of open form deal for the most part i mean he is a good mm interview style thing that he does but he doesn't overdo it he kind of does it the right amount you know yeah he and lets like, us go yeah yeah i mean somebody approached me to do a podcast many years ago to do always record this bill and uh you know i was like the only way i'm going to do it is we don't do that thing that i'm seeing a lot of podcasts do which is where you start with your conclusion and then you do everything you can to back up that conclusion i was like <laughs> i see that as a syntax error or at least cause for there to likely be a syntax error and so I was like, I, I would rather just ex explore data and information. And if and if I think that something means something, I, I would rather not relate to that in any absolute terms. Like I would like right. to qualify that as speculative where it's speculative. It's like one of the reasons why I like Peter Lavinda too. He's really good at that. Like the mm -hmm. Sinister Forces books where he'll just like, he'll share a lot of information and he'll say, here's what we know. Here's what we speculate. Here's how we know what we know. Here's why we think what we think, you know. The, that kind of approach I, I really like because yeah. you know that's what that's what got Alex Jones into trouble you know he would have been totally fine to explore things with the narrative that didn't line up with any sensationalized event or whatever but he just he couldn't do that he couldn't take that initiative to just explore the data he had to assert his conclusions along with it and uh that's not necessarily helpful when it comes to analyzing such nuanced complex subject matter and it actually ends up devaluing the things that you are putting out there that mm -hmm. people should pay attention to and i would so, even suggest mm -hmm. that when you do come to the correct conclusion it could easily it, like that might be circumstances where they'll make it so it's the least believable thing that you could that, that anyone yeah. could imagine you know yeah exactly <laughs> i got i got i got somebody knocking on my door right now so <laughs> cool man well let's talk let's wrap, wrap up man it's late and uh this was a really long awesome epic conversation that started with 9 11 and went into a lot of different areas so cool, it was really man. cool man i really appreciate it yeah thanks for it. being here with me everybody david charles plate find him at syncbook.com and everybody, thanks for the, listening. Thanks for the, watching. The sync. The, the sync book. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for watching, listening. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, pacifaria. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you meddle with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.